From the iHeartRadio studios in New York City, come two diehard fans of the greatest rock and roll band hailing from Hollywood, California. Dissecting all things Guns N' Roses and anything else in their distorted minds, it's Brando and Scotto. And this is Appetite for Distortion. And welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode number 26. My name is Brando. With me today is one of our bad apples here on Appetite for Distortion. Hello. John Miller, you are a bad boy recently. I, I don't mean to. I mean, I just... I just say what comes to mind sometimes. It isn't right. <laughs> well, welcome to Appetite for Distortion, the uh, 26th episode. Uh, this is just so cool. We're back in the iHeartRadio studios in uh, Tribeca. The last episode, we had uh, Ian and I, Scotto, Scotto, comma, Ian. We were at his soft rep studios. Just, uh, I don't know, it's like, you know the city better than I do. It's like, I don't know, like 10 minutes away from here in Tribeca. I forget where it is. I'm terrible. Uh, but we did a, a live episode, so you can actually watch us if you dare. Uh, that was a lot of fun. But I'm glad John is here. He's here for a few reasons, other than his beautiful, um, I guess, uh, salt and pepper mane. <laughs> okay. And I, this shirt, I thought it, you, you made it, but this is our... No, uh, this, this is a vintage Appetite for Destruction shirt. Um, one of my friends in, uh, in Indiana gave it to me when I, when I, visited, when I visited there, the, you know, after I called into the show that other time. Mm-hmm. And uh, she goes, here, you want this? I'm like, uh, no, no, I don't, I'm good. Yes, give me the goddamn shirt. I've never seen that before because it's the original cover of Appetite. Right. Yes. And then on the, what does it say in the sleeves? Guns and roses. Okay. Guns in roses. And because yeah. it looks like, I guess he, he likes the uh, Axel because I'm assuming all these prints go through him. Because uh, it just reminded me of the Chinese democracy long sleeve shirt that I had, oh, okay. which I thought was rare, but that's even rarer. Yeah. We'll put pictures up it's, there on our social I, media because it is, it is cool. From 1988. Yeah. But uh, I do want to mention before we get into. Um, well, like we get into a lot because we're gonna interview Raz Q today. Coo, I mean, I, you Coo. know what? I was gonna. I, oh, forgive me. I, I do not know, or I could be wrong. I mean, I've heard oh, Raz wow, Koo. This, this is cool. I, she, he and I have not spoken. We are so professional here. It's like we've we said on the show a lot. Uh, Paul Hughey or Paul Huge. It's Hughey. Hughey. Yeah. All right. It means we've repeatedly never claimed to be experts. We're just big, huge fans who happen to be in radio, Ian and I. So I have no idea. And no one knows this guy, Raz, it seems. Or, you know, at least from, uh, well, people know him, but not in our world, it seems. Because I'm seeing... Right. Well, uh, tell, tell me how you discovered him before okay. we get into it. All right. Well, uh, when I started speaking for, for my movie project, started speaking to old band members, his name just started coming up. And... You know, I, when you would read about it, you would read interviews with Tracy, maybe even Axel spoke about the manager. They, they never said his name, so I always knew there was this this guy, this this L.A. Guns manager who was basically like a catalyst for 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 the formation of the band, it seemed to me, as, as a reader, as a fan. And so I was speaking with the original Guns N' Roses drummer, Robert Gardner. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, you know, get get really contentious about what is the original band or not. But the original one, um, Robert Gardner, told me about Raz Koo, the LA Guns manager, and uh, and that he was the one who basically funded the band, and um, he came into money uh, from an accident, and everything started 
feeling very hot, like I need to know more about this guy. This this is significant because mm-hmm. because again, one thing because when you first told me that, I was like, well, that's cool because that's the point of this podcast is just to get you know find all the the fourth and fifth players of this Guns N' Roses universe and find out their stories and you know just in addition to of course having fun talking about you know a great rock and roll band. But you told me other things that just intrigued me even more. And you didn't even have to say anything, actually, before that. You just showed me the cover. Right. Because the book is on Amazon. It's a Raz and uh, it's the days of guns and razzes. Right. And there are two handicap logos on there. Exactly. And, uh, you know, if this is the first uh, episode you, you're listening to Appetite for Distortion, a lot of us, a lot of you discovered us from the, uh, the live episode. Uh, I actually paid for those Facebook ads or the, the promo thing. Uh-huh. We got... We got new fans out of it, so I guess I'll have to... I'm glad you enjoyed my 50 bucks, Zuckerberg, you son of a bitch. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, wow, I got angry real quick. I took my medication. I'm fine. It's all right. Um, but j- just seeing the, the logos and just... Because I'm handicapped. That's, the, that's, that's what I was getting mm-hmm. to. Uh, I have a neurological disability. I don't, I don't think you spoke to Raz about it before. I did not. So I'll, we'll talk about it with him. So I'm just really intrigued how this handicapped guy... And I don't want to. I guess I can reduce it to that because that's what I am sometimes. Uh, was the uh, original Guns N' Roses manager, which is just incredibly fascinating. So he should be calling up in just a few minutes. Yeah. Um, I mean, besides Robert Gardner, I heard it through uh, the LA Guns, one of the, the bass players, uh, Steve Darrow, he talked about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, the drummer for Hollywood Rose, for Shire, uh, Johnny Kreese brought him up. Chris Weber brought him up, I'm sure, to me. Um, and I don't. I don't think what I, I interviewed. I just kept thinking of Raz as in Razzle, you know, from right. Uh, no, I mean uh, that's that's what I. I, I guess not. I guess I always heard that too. Right. I guess never really thought it through. Right. And well, ultimately, um, the the biggest connection was uh, the other early LA Gun singer who I was told by him that he was the original. Um, what you will learn is that Axl Rose was the original LA Gun singer. Now, Ellie we'll, Gunn's turn for We'll see what band. he says. We'll see what he says uh, Ra- from well, that. Well, I mean, no, no, uh, who? Raz. Well, Raz is the one who- I know, he says yeah. it. I, no, okay. I want to hear it from the- uh, Okay, I'll, the, I'll, I'll the, shut up about it. The but, Raz's mouth. Because the alternative uh, facts that I heard were, came from the other singer, Michael Jagos, mm-hmm. and uh, he died in in uh, February 2014. Okay. And um, he and I have become pretty good friends- and when I would go out to L.A., we'd go to the Rainbow and hang out and, you know, have a good time. Anyway, um, he loved Raz, and he had told me that Raz had died. Oh. So, um, and I thought that I saw... The rumors him, of my death have been greatly right. exaggerated. I thought that I saw him pop up um, somewhere on Facebook. and uh, Were you interviewing a dead guy? Well, I mean, so... Awesome. Michael, I, I said, I think Raz is still alive, you know? Um, <laughs> and so he goes, no! I mean, Michael had this unbelievably loud voice. I'd be driving him around. I can't even... I don't even want to get into how loud the guy was. But, um, okay. But I don't know if you've ever heard the LA Guns... The, the I first... don't know what we're yelling about! <laughs> Sorry. We're, we're back in the studio, and now I have the soundboard back again, so it felt, it felt right. Well, have you ever heard Collector's Edition Number 1? It's the LA Guns' first EP album. No. I, I usually associate that with comic books. Well, I, right. I mean, that, I, I understand. But <laughs> I, I recommend listening to this because I think that it gives, other than the vocals, it gives a first impression of what musically of what the original Guns N' Roses sound would be like because you have Oli Bach on bass, you have Tracy Guns on guitar, and you have Rob Gardner on um, the drums. 
So, so I, yeah, I can't wait. So we're you know moments away from getting uh, Raz here on the phone. But before uh, we do, I uh, want to acknowledge a couple things. Because as we're recording this, uh, this is uh, Sunday, uh, September 3rd. We're in fucking September already. Ugh, I'm going to be 34 in a few days. I'm going to throw up. Um, so old. Man. I know. But God. I could live a long life uh, like Walter Becker from Steely Dan. So uh, he passed away today. Uh, he was sick. Apparently, you know. And good for him that he kept it private because he gets surprised. Uh, a lot of fans and uh, you know I want to bring that up because uh, of course he impacted and a lot of musicians uh, slash tweeted about it today so did Matt Sorum and for me because growing up on classic rock radio which initially got me into Guns N' Roses Steely Dan was always on the radio too mm-hmm. and I always liked it I never got into it as much as GNR because maybe they were more of I guess my dad's era but mm-hmm. uh, I, I so rest in peace I mean I that that, that just sucks another um, a legendary musician one of the uh, founders of Steely Dan well I wonder if um I'm, and I'm hoping that guns might do. Maybe, but well, first we're gonna talk to Raz. Okay, oh. so I'm gonna start the interview awkwardly because usually Ian uh, has this nice written out, you know, biography. But um, as I, I we were talking a little bit before we, we brought you on the air, Raz, uh, how John brought you to my attention, and. I, I wanted to save it to on the air that really grabbed me. In addition to just being a, a huge GNR nerd, uh, about your story, that the the cover has handicap logos on it. I'm also handicapped. Uh, I have a neurological condition that requires me to use leg braces and, and a cane. So I'm just reading more and more about your story. And I was actually watching your stand up earlier uh, from oh, 1990. Yeah. And actually, if you give me a, a second, I want to play a clip from it, because I've always thought about, because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Jewish. I have to be a comedian. Uh, about what would I what would I say if I went on stage with my cane? And I think you came up with the best joke, because you come on. By the way, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tweet this video. You look amazing in it. It's totally 80s, even though it's 1990, right? Uh, hey, is your name pronounced Koo or Q? Oh, it's not even coming up. Q, like, Q, okay. like Q-Ball. Uh, okay, I got you. Cause... Like Faux Q Studios. All right. So here's Raz doing stand-up in 1990. You know, uh, after shows, people always ask me about the walkers. They ask me what happened, how they end up with it. I tell them, I was at the market, and this old lady was not paying attention, so I stole from her. <laughs> 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 I just couldn't stop laughing, so uh, that's enough of my... You know, me talking. We're here to talk to you. So uh, you're calling us from Vegas today, right? Las Vegas, Nevada. Well, fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. <laughs> and this is your second book, right? Yeah, I got another book, Bud's Love Bus. It's about these guys that make a 1972 Volkswagen bus run on weed. <laughs> <laughs> how, is that, how is that not a movie yet? You know, I don't know. Like, people say it's... Yeah, it should be. They got a lot of weed movies. Uh, plus, I know people that that acquire books for films, and I never even pitch it to them though. So it's like, I should. It's in there. <laughs> Maybe one day. And uh, I also want before I, we get into your story, this is the very first interview you've ever done on a podcast, on a radio, ever. Ever, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm completely honored, and I hope you uh, can understand uh, me saying, "God damn right, we should be the first interview." People who like, who, who I think can understand you. Well, I mean, as soon as I learned about, as soon as I started reading the book, I said, like, "He's got to, he's got to come on the show." I mean, I, and I'm glad you uh, you brought him to us. I mean, a friend, a friend of mine that I only know through um, online. His name is uh, Gavin Barnard. He's a huge fan. He lives in um, Great Britain, and he's he's. 
he alerted me right away because do you have you have you gotten Raz's book? I said no, and so he sent me the uh, the Amazon ad. I bought it immediately, started reading because I've been wanting I've been wanting to talk to you for years. Like I, <laughs> we were talking about this earlier in 2011. I first heard your name from Rob Gardner while he and I were on the phone, and then of course when I met Michael. Jagos, he talked about you nonstop, and uh, and I think I might have mentioned uh, mentioned this to you. Michael thought you had died, and so and I'm like, I don't think so. I think I saw. Him. How does that make you feel? Yeah, I mean, you know, I heard that I was dead, and it, it kind of freaked me out a little bit. But I don't know. It was kind of cool, actually. <laughs> yeah. You're not dead, though. But, we can confirm you're not right, dead. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I'm here to confirm that. <laughs> not speaking so, from uh, beyond. So um, we, we're, we're, I mean, obviously we're both excited to, to, to talk to you. So uh, tell us about your story or what first prompted you to write this book, The Days of Guns and Razzes. You know, there's just like so much stuff out there that's like, it's weird. Like people that are in, were involved and whatever, and, you know, even like secondary, third, third uh, string characters or whatever. And they tell all these stories and it's like, man, you guys were there and you're just getting it wrong. And, mm. and I just don't, I, I'm just, I'm a hit. I did a, a history. I got a history degree and history major and all that. And I'm very into accuracy. So I just, I just had to write it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> was there, was there, what was out there that you felt that you needed to, uh, to correct anything? Was there, you know, it's, I mean, you don't have to throw weird. anyone to the bus. I mean, you could, if you want to, it would get us more oh, press. No, I will. I, I'm good like that. Okay. <laughs> I don't care, man. That's what buses are for, right? <laughs> Weed buses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the, um, okay, so, I mean, it's just a lot of stuff. Like, when I was a kid, I used to read rock magazines like crazy. You know, I probably all of us did. And put the pictures up, you know, like I had my Scorpions pictures and Judas Priest and all that stuff and Iron Maiden and Led Zeppelin, everything, like the whole wall was, you know, and I'd read the articles religiously. And then when when the L.A. rock scene started, you know, like the crew, I mean, not started, but in my youth, when the, when the new generation, like Motley Crue and Rat and Quiet Riot. Mm-hmm. And I'd read all these, but I wouldn't read up like everything and follow up everything. And then when GNR came out, like I knew the guys and I would just read like everything. And then I started noticing like, okay, like I'd read, I'd read like Hit Parade or whatever, or Circus. And it would be like the same interview. Like it wouldn't be like an actual, I knew the guys didn't do that interview. Like it was just like, it's such secondhand information. And then one, one magazine would report what the other magazine said as if it was gospel. And it's like, I don't know, man. It's just, and then just over the years, like those stories became fact almost, you know? So, well, how, how times have not changed. It seems like that's, that's what crazy, it, it, it is now. Well, uh, well, I love it because there are a lot of, there's so many books out. Not, not by the ones by Slasher Duff, but that are just not right. They'll throw in just fallacies. Well, there. right. And, uh, you know, and John is, is big on, on uh, calling out people who've been putting out uh, like poor facts or certain mm-hmm. websites with certain facts. Right. So, I mean, it, that's, that's cool that you want to get it, 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 uh, that part of it straight. But what about, I mean, was there, is that what the, the purpose of the book was? Or is it also your story? Because no, you have an awesome I think it's story. my story. That's like, I mean, I, I do say that in the book. Like, you know, theoretically this book's about me. But I knew, you know, like, if you're going to throw, like, the greatest rock band of my generation in there, it's going to help people that, that wouldn't normally just want to hear my story. Right. 
to give it a listen, you know? So well, I, I read or whatever. I, this was in your bio because, I mean, we're Guns N' Roses or not, this would make me want to read it. Uh, during a freak late uh, summer snowstorm, under a pile of greasy newspapers at the back of a dilapidated tobacco shack, Raz Q entered the world to absolutely no fanfare. He was the seventh son born to a merchant marine turned sharecropper father and a slightly intoxicated pill-popping she-wolf. <laughs> now, if that doesn't uh, smell sitcom, I don't know what it does. <laughs> so, uh, do you want to start there? <laughs> I don't know where you want you want to start with you. Okay, you know, like I, I am a, uh, go to a reading group, you know, or I'm a writers group, and we all read each other's stuff. And cool. when I submitted that, one guy's like, "Well, that doesn't sound." Like it's real though. It sounds kind of like false. So <laughs> that's what I had to reread. I was like, was this about the? Uh, I'm like, is this the beginning of your weed bus book, or is this the beginning of your? But I was like, that's that's him. That that's you. You know, at Amazon, if you don't claim your writer's page, anybody could just put stuff up there. So I figured I'll just write something and put it up there. And uh, I like <laughs> fucking around with people, you know. So. <laughs> well, we should uh, continue to get along. So uh, then, then take us through. Do you want to start? I mean, obviously, we want people to to get the book. And uh, there is a uh, RazQ.com, right? Or Amazon is the the best way. To- yeah, RazQ.com. You it's out. It's on Amazon. It's on Barnes and Noble. It's- all, all of the better bookstores and shitty bookstores, and it's everywhere. Uh, and I think, John, you got it on Kindle, right? Yeah. No, I got it through Amazon. We just use the Kindle app because a lot of people oh, don't right. realize you can do that. They're like, oh, I don't have a Kindle. Like, well, you can get the app for your phone oh, and for your I, iPad. I didn't know that. Now yeah. I do. Yeah, and your and your, and your your MacBook. So you can read it anywhere, it seems. Yeah, yeah iPad, everything, yeah. So, Kindle. Like, my Kindle broke. I prefer my Kindle just because, you know. It's just better. It's made specifically specifically for reading, but I cracked it, so mm. I just use my iPad to read on. Mm. Can't take you anywhere, Raz. <laughs> so, I know, I know. So, uh, without giving away too much, what do you want to say? Uh, where do you want to take us along your journey? Where do you want that to begin uh, here? Uh, you know. I don't know. I don't. I figured you guys. Where'd you? Wait, like, where, I like, make shit up. No. no. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a, it's a conversation. Like, uh, did you? Because you said you're in Vegas now. Like, where did you grow up? Okay, yeah, I was born in uh, Orange County, California. Okay. And how, and then, how like, old are you now, by the way? I am 52 years old. Oh, well, Mazel Tov. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, um, shouldn't I drink something when you say that? that yeah, yeah, yeah. L'chaim, and you, yeah. you know, take a shot of Manischewitz <laughs> or something like that. All right, so, uh, so like, what kind of kid were you? Like, what got you into the rock and roll world? What led you, you know, because we, all of us, um, me, my normal co-host, uh, Scott, we've talked about how we got into Guns N' Roses, how we've gotten into the band, same thing with John. So how did you, uh, I guess, first get into rock and also uh, get into Guns N' Roses and become friends with them? How did, you know, take us along that path. Well, I just was like a musical kid, you know, like I kind of, I was just, you know, like a lot of people hated school and would kind of like I was back you know free range kids you know like latchkey kids they called us or whatever sure so my parents split up when I was like four we my mom and me and my brother moved to LA and we just lived in you know we lived around people in our apartment building where uh, like Floyd Sneed the drummer for Three Dog Night was our neighbor Mm. Tommy Chong was our neighbor (laughs) that explains a lot and uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, my mom was a big pothead, you know, like, you know, left wing, you know, like all anti-Vietnam stuff and mm-hmm. all that so hippie stuff. And she liked good music, you know, like we'd listen to, you know, like Jesus Christ Superstar and like uh, Miles Davis, mm-hmm. whatever, you know. She liked the Beatles a lot, Peter, Paul, and Mary. We were always, there was this music everywhere. And then living in the hood, man, I really got into soul music. I mean, nice. my first real love was the Jackson 5. Wow. Uh-huh. 
I mean, I couldn't uh, couldn't get enough of the little little Michael Jackson going back to Indiana. <laughs> oh, that's so then, that's beautiful. Go ahead. No, no, continue. Yeah, and then uh, I don't know. I bounced back and forth. I, you know, in the, in the book I explain, I ended up going to like twenty two schools, it's, 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 and that was like twenty two like separate schools. But a couple of them I went to like more than one. So if, if you count like all the times I enrolled in schools, he's not exactly like. I mean, but, yeah, like twenty twenty six or something like but, that. Yeah, but why did that happen? Because uh, I, I was a dick. I would say he's a hellion. Oh, because you you just kept getting you were you were the problem child. You just kept getting kicked out of school. Well, up until like junior high, I would just move around a lot, like back and forth between parents. Okay. So that, but then once junior high started, like in ninth grade, I went to five schools in one year, <laughs> one calendar year. Wow. <laughs> and then in tenth grade, I went to five different schools, but in three calendar years, and then I just dropped out because it was like, eh. I mean, there's one you're okay. there for like a maybe two weeks, you know. I mean, I, I forget where you were, but I don't yeah, think Bart it's like Fairfax or not. Oh, my but, God. Yeah. I actually know Bart stayed in Springfield. Well, he's got kicked out a couple times. I don't want to go into Simpsons tangent. <laughs> I can I can do that. I can do a Simpsons podcast if I wanted to. Uh, so that's – then when did it happen? You're moving around, which is just an insane story, and I you know, I, I don't want to give everything away in the book. What happened with the the accident, and what can I you know ask? And again, you're in a safe space here because I am also disabled. So I'm, I'm this is what I'm fascinated about because like what I can do, what I've been able to do with my career, what I thought I haven't been able to do, what it's done to my psyche, what's fighting through that. So that part of the story is extremely fascinating to me. Yeah, you know, I uh, it was the summer between ninth and well ninth and tenth grade. And uh, my dad was a restaurant a manager of a chain of restaurants called Mateo's Restaurant. It's like uh, that's that's got a whole history of its own, like Frank Sinatra's favorite place and everything. And it was just like, so my dad, like, oh man, if he wrote a book, that'd be awesome. But whatever. So he, there was a restaurant in Hawaii, and they sent him to turn it around. And I was like, hey, Dad, I want to go to Hawaii. I want to go to Hawaii. So yeah, he let me go, and then I got to break my fucking neck. Mm. So yeah, I just dove into a pool, man. It was like. The simplest thing, like I was out playing pool and drinking because my dad had like left town on a little uh, two-day trip to bang his mistress, and he told me, "Be nice to your stepmom while I'm gone." So I kind of, I actually kind of felt guilty. I'm like, I'm just gonna go home and watch TV and kick back. And I went home and there's this show I used to like called Rat Patrol, and it wasn't on. So I was like, "Fuck it, I'll just go swimming." So yeah, and then. Dove into the pool. I was sitting in a jacuzzi, and I stood up, and I was like, let me jump in the cold water. And next thing you know, I was just floating face down, man. Couldn't move a muscle. So it was instant. Yeah, pretty pretty, you know, pretty instantly. I thought I was going to knock out at first because I used to surf. Okay. So they always, there was, you always hear these stories about dudes that like, hit their head on the bottom and drown right. because they, they were unconscious. So then, yeah, I realized, like, hey, I'm not going to knock out. Let me just try to swim. And then I couldn't move. Yeah, I was like, fuck. Uh, and so I was like laying there holding my breath. And you're submerged in the water at this point, right? I mean, face down, yeah, face uh, down. And, and then how long is it until someone pulled you out? Right. I mean, it had to be like more than a minute and a half. Yeah. Everybody thought I was dicking around. Wow. I just couldn't believe it. Wow. In, in, you in, in the be book, dead, man. And in, I'm sure you thought about that a million times. I mean, in, in the book, it seemed like you were alone, and then it just a miracle that somebody came upon you or something. Oh, maybe I should clarify that. Well, man. no, no. Next I mean, look. I mean, that's also no, my, my my reading skills. I mean, I went back and I re- <laughs> and I reread that section a couple of times. It is it is riveting. I mean, it's so much so that it's so well written. It's like one of the sequences where you know it's going to happen, yet you're still thinking you can get out of it. You know, like as you're reading, you're like no, no, no. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it. Well, all right. Was that difficult for you to to talk about to write? 
No, no, no. Oh, that part, that was, it's not difficult to talk about, but it was a bitch to write. Okay. Like, I, w- I was writing, like, five, ten pages a day, like, in and out, like, mm-hmm. knocking, just knocking them out. And then every time I came to that part, it would take me, like, a week to write a page. Wow. And the part where I get stabbed, too, that was oh, pretty Oh, God, rough. yeah, I forgot to mention. <laughs> <laughs> where is, do we want to save that, or is that in the timeline? Uh, it's afterwards. All right, so. so <laughs> yeah, that's later. Yeah, yeah, and how old were you? Oh, and this is the I was happened. 15 when I broke my neck. All right, 15. Because obviously, you know, I just me being because my disability started when I was 10, you know, and it's something that's been uh, demyelinating, slowly progressing. So obviously, it's different. Uh, I was a late late bloomer, man. A late bloomer. <laughs> I love that. See, that's, see, your handy, your your sense of humor is not handicapped. I love it. I love it. And actually, when I saw your uh, when I was prepping for this interview, um, when I was looking at your your standout from 1990, and you came up from the Walker, I was like, oh my god, this is gonna be like this is gonna be so weird. There are like 34 views on it, and you were hilarious. So I hope. This we get more views because we're hearing it now. You have a great sense of humor, which is uh, oh, thanks, man. Which is uh, it, it's helped me. That. Yeah, it's helped me. I don't know about you, but it's helped me. So you're 15, and so like where like did, were you? Did you have the walker then? Were you in a wheelchair? Take us to no, me? you know, no. I went to rehab, and that mm-hmm. that took forever because they had me in pediatric rehab, and they wouldn't make you do anything. Like you, I could just be like the dick that I was, and like if I didn't want to go. To rehab, to the, my therapy, physical, I just wouldn't go. So I was there for eight months. And then I got out and I was still, they called it independent with assist. So I, I needed someone to help me out the toilet. I needed someone to help me out of bed. Mm. But I, once I was in my chair, I was pretty, you know, I'm kind of a slow roll already still because I only, uh, my accident only really, uh, one side's totally paralyzed and the other side's weak. Mm, okay. So I can't move the fingers on my right hand. I can't move my right leg. But my left leg, I can stand a little bit. Obviously, you saw the walker and everything. So. Sure. So I got out, and then I was independent with an assist is what they called it. But my dad never, like, like he didn't pay attention when they told him how to show him the proper way to help me. Mm. So he would just, like, lug me, and, like, my ribs would hurt. So basically about a week after I got out of the hospital, maybe two weeks tops, I was fully independent because I just quit calling him. Like, if I needed help, I was just like, fuck it. I'm going to do this. If I fall, then he can come. And, yeah, I got independent. And then Great. about a week after that, I realized I could stand up. I'd never even tried. <laughs> oh, my God. So, yeah, I was getting in the car. And then he went inside to get the sliding board. And I just, like, grabbed the car door. He had a 57 Chevy, which is badass, I might add. So, yeah, I just held on to the car door. And then he came out. And he saw me standing up. And, man... It looked like he saw a fucking ghost. <laughs> wow, I mean, for to be that brave and courageous, though, to to do that at, at fifteen, that speaks a lot. And we're only at the the, the beginning of your story. And just because since we're talking to Raz, I want to acknowledge this, and hopefully you, you think it's funny. Uh, it's four twenty here in in, uh, in New York City. <laughs> that's oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't peek oh. out the studio though. So. <laughs> Uh, so, like, John, well, one, gonna, one okay, thing about about it is, you know, I mean, I can't imagine um, there's something like this happening, and being able to read about it and give the, the first person point of view, and and to be presented so objectively, and for the entire book to have such a sense of humor. I really found it one of the most inspiring things I've ever read. I mean, not just because oh, of the thanks, accident. Man. I appreciate that. Totally. I mean, not because of just because of the accident, but just your lifestyle itself is something. This is why I think that every every Guns N' Roses fan 
besides everyone else, I think, if, just to read a, a great book, Guns, Guns N' Roses fan needs to get this book because this is like the ultimate in like a rock and roll lifestyle without actually being a musician. But you were yeah. became such and were such a part of, of this, this band that uh, with without what did I say? I wrote something about it. I said without being sort of affected by being a band member, you can sort of have the the, the greatest inside look into it um, as almost like this ultimate fan in a way. You know, ultimate fly on the, the wall. Ul, the ultimate insight. <laughs> but he wasn't a fly on the wall. You were a no, part no. of it. Well, that's what it means. Right. Like how do how do I, I don't know how to classify that right. You know, it's it's funny because uh, what what did he say? That, um, oh man, I forgot already. I'm not even still. I mean, like contact on. Well, well, well. I guess like where then? Where are we in the story then? Well, then we, okay. You said I, I guess. Want to finish? For me, like I think when when did, when did you you first met Michael? Was he the first? It seemed to me that was the first connection. Yeah. Where yeah. About about a year after I got out of the hospital, like I I went. To uh, enroll in Marshall High School, and they didn't have it wasn't accessible. There was just stairs everywhere. Oh, I fucking and hate so that. Then, uh, yeah, it was worse back then. Oh, I can only imagine. I can only imagine. You could, ne- you could never find a fucking bathroom back in the day. Oh. Like now, like you go somewhere, even like yeah, great. It's a lot better now. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I was at, at. So I ended up going to Fairfax High, which is. I mean, we got like. You know the alumni from Fairfax. Yeah, slash. We're Dave talking Kushner about Cr- no. to Chris Weber about Chris it. Weber, yeah. It's, it's like the Degrassi like Junior it. High of Guns N' Roses or something. Yeah, it's it's you know they, everybody went there. It seems like man. I mean, there's people like I look back now and like like see that they went there. I was like, well, I didn't know they went there. It's just, <laughs> like they didn't they didn't rate. You know. <laughs> so yeah, so I I was going there, and then about three or four days in, like. I think Mike used to show up on Fridays to find out where the parties were. <laughs> so he showed up for the first time, man, and I just saw him. He walked in, he sat behind me, and a couple minutes after he showed up, I, the assistant principal came in and said, Jay, Michael Jagos, and started looking around the room. And I hear this bag sliding towards me, like the, the duffel, Mike's duffel bag. <laughs> so it's sliding towards me, and the, the teacher goes, uh, the principal says to Mike, Jagos, come with me grab your bag and then i was like oh man i know there must be something worth it worth it in this bag so i was like oh that's mine you know so i just kept and then mike left and the bell rang and i grabbed the bag and i was like man there's gonna be some weed in here (laughs) so i was rolling out mike came and was like thanks man i got like a half ounce of shrooms in there (laughs) i was like oh so yeah we just became fast friends man like we like, you know, like we like the same bands and everything like that. And then a couple weeks later, he's like, "Come check out my band, Pirates." Okay. Right. And and that was it. Yeah. And then that, that next per- thing I know, I'm going over there all the time, man, watching Pirates play. Tracy was fucking great, man. So Pirates was for those who don't know, Pirates became uh, became um, uh, L.A. Guns. Right. Um, and but, but that's what I was going to say. If anyone who's unaware of who Michael is, Michael was yes the Pirates singer. Not necessarily the first L.A. Gun singer, but okay. that's that's another that, that that requires another explanation. Okay, I have a feeling we'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, uh, so, but yeah, sorry to interrupt. Oh yeah, so I started going over there all the time, man. We go, uh, go, we go smoke pot and fucking beer bong a bunch of shit and everything like that. And Mike's brother was in a band called Shire. Yes. Okay. And then. I one day Mike just warmed the band up because they had a like at the end of that school year, 
they had a show at Providence High School. They were playing like the end of the school year or whatever. And uh, Mike was warming the band up, so Dave Anthony, the singer for Shire, wouldn't ruin his voice. And uh, this guy, Izzy, was playing bass. You know, he was like older than us. He was probably like in his 20, 21, 22, something like that. And we were all like 17. So fucking Izzy was great, man. I just like, I became an Izzy fan like the first time I saw him. He was like bouncing around, being cool, doing the, you know. Cooler than Fonzie. <laughs> everyone a, says that. Everybody, the that's coolest what's... person you've ever met. That's when you know it's yeah, true, yeah. when everyone says it. And I'm talking about people, in, like, person in Indiana right. and, in, and in L.A. And now, you yeah. know, people who still, you know, so that's cool. You cool. know, the, the the funny thing is, is like, uh, like Izzy, this is how cool Izzy is. Like, he's on not Instagram, on, on Twitter, right? He's only following two people. <laughs> Ron Wood and Keith Richards. Oh, perfect. I, you don't get any cooler than that, you no. know? Like, no. Why would he? <laughs> yeah, hey, why Ax- would he follow anybody? Axel follows zero people. <laughs> yes, he does. Yes, he does. That is too funny. Uh, but um, I guess that's cooler. I, I spoke with Alan Santalisa. He was the Shire, yeah, yeah, Alan, the Shire yeah. guitarist. I don't know if I told you about him or not, Brandon. No. But um, so of course he mentioned you uh, when I was talking to him, and uh, but I also was just curious how how Izzy even got involved. I never even I don't think I asked Johnny Crease, the drummer, and also the Hollywood Rose drummer, how they got Izzy. Izzy just answered a, uh, an ad in the Recycler. Right, right. I mean, I had never heard that. I always that, wondered how, I, okay. how he how he came. To, you know, oh, Andy played bass. Right. He yeah he had that yeah. white Fender bass. Mm. And I heard, and, and then Alan said he also already had his um, his electric guitar. He always had, he already had that. So, See, what I heard at the time after Izzy left, he he was theoretically would or supposedly would never play bass again. Like he only took that. He wanted to be a guitar player, and I guess he took that gig thinking that you know, like maybe they'd add a second guitar player mm-hmm. or something. I don't think he was in Shire that long. I mean, I just saw him that one time, and then like two months later, I went to a Shire show just to see Izzy play. And they had the guy Mick playing bass. So, right. mm. funny. So I'm curious um, again, because from my perspective, as someone who has a disability, uh, how you were treated by the bands? You know, when you came in, and like, what were you using to, I guess, assist you when you're going to these shows? You know, because oh yeah, I hadn't started using the walker yet. I was I came later. Like, I didn't start walking around until like 1989 or 90 or whatever. So, so yeah, just in a wheelchair. Just in yeah. a chair. Okay. So then, how did you, they treat you then? I still, regardless. Thing like. Back in the day, like when I had my accident, I was young, so I went everywhere because I only weighed like 150 pounds, and all my friends didn't have bad backs yet. Right. Uh, so like if there was stairs or whatever, anything, I did. They just lugged me around everywhere. I've done that. So, I've done that. Yeah, yeah. Everybody was cool. My, I don't think anybody ever like treated me different because I had a disability. Good. I mean, so I think. I mean, if anything, like I could, I got a little mouthy with people sometimes. And my friends would like kick their butts. So <laughs> we do that too. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, yeah. and you mentioned ha- having to endorse some punches to the face by one of your friends for something you said to somebody, and I, I, I forget, I forget which guy that was. No, I think I got roundhouse. I, I mean, I got, I've been punched more than once or twice since I've been in my wheelchair. Yeah, uh, but um. I got roundhoused in the head one time by a, a friend of ours. We were like, you know, like I was talking shit about his sister. Or that's that, like that. That's the part. Yeah. Nah. <laughs> yeah. Nah. <laughs> All right. So you crack me up. Where are we on the timeline? So, uh, so with the timeline, that's when you you saw Izzy perform that just that one time, right? Yeah, just once at rehearsal. Yeah. So what what was then, your next? Uh, uh, okay. Uh, then I went to the Shire show and he wasn't there. But I kept asking, was like, what's up with this? Where's Izzy at? 
And they're like, oh, he's in a punk band called Rose or something like that. <laughs> okay. And then Shire, like, you know, like a month later, I think it was February of 84 or something like that. They played it. Shire played a show with Rose because they were sharing drummers, Johnny Christ. <sighs> right. So they, shared, they were sharing drummers. And Sandy West was playing upstairs at the Mad- Madam Wong's West. It's on Wilshire Boulevard in Santa Monica or something like that. A couple miles from the beach. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, man, I'll, I'll move your guys' gear. I want to go to that show, man. Mostly to meet Sandy West. <laughs> and that's the first time I saw I saw Axel, and he just fucking blew me away like the first time, man. I was like, that, I was that, like man, this guy's amazing. Did, just in sound, even just in sound check, you know? God, yeah, and your description of it is unreal. I, I love it. So you describe like what it's like to see Axel here for the first time, and I I'd rather that be read. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, I, I, oh, go ahead. I ain't telling. No, no, I'm not, I'm not reading it. I would rather people get the book and read it. Oh, you know? yeah, right, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I I do good. <laughs> no. I do good. It's amazing what like 800 drafts or something. Uh, yeah, just get was, better and better. I was reading about like yeah the amount of drafts. I mean, so how long did this book? I mean, before we continue uh, along your path, how long did the book take to, to put together? You know, I actually finished the book about a year and a half ago, and it's just been sitting on a shelf. Wow. So, Were you afraid I, to put it out? No, I just, I didn't think it was done. Okay. And I let people, I would let people read it, and then they were like, man, you need to get this published or whatever, or get an agent or whatever, and then, man, I just can't, I always kept, okay, let me get an agent, and I had like, you know, like on my little outlook on my computer, I had like a thing that was supposed to remind me every week, and it would be bold letters, get an agent. And then I would just be like, man, I don't want to fucking have anybody else tell me what to do. Yeah, I'm so glad like, you didn't do that. Mm. Yeah, because they would have made me cut out like the first, supposedly for a memoir, my book's a little long. So it's only like a little over 300 pages, right? But yeah, yeah. theoretically, they want like about 15,000 less words than what it is. It, so the, yeah, I was it, like, man, to, I don't want to. To take away from that, it would have been an editor who does not un, does not understand, first of all, the band and this, your significance to it and, and why it all needs to be in there. I, I really think, it, you know, a, a lot of people have a uh, problem editing their own stuff out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I wrote, when I wrote it, the first, you know, after like the third draft or whatever, I think that what I finally put out about the sixth draft or seven, I get a little, I'm talking a little shit when I say 40, 50 drafts, but yeah, like <laughs> seven drafts or whatever. Mm. So the, after the third draft, it was like 200,000 words. <laughs> oh I God. mean, because I put every little damn story that happened in my life. So I really actually went through and cut out like, 30%, 35%, like stuff like, it's like, okay, my story, it doesn't matter about these guys, cut it out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, but it doesn't, so I went down a lot, go ahead. It doesn't feel long. I mean, it, it's, it, it's a, it's a really, every section is so interesting. It's so complex, but it, you don't feel like, oh, it, you know, like a lot of times you read a book, you're like, how much longer is, not at all. Like, you're just like, Please, please don't let this in. end, you know, because yeah. you sort of I kind of feel that way now just talking to him because we haven't even gotten to, like, the real yeah, G&R yeah. Yeah, stuff I, I, yet. I, I, I got to shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I wasn't saying that. I was implying it. I was thinking about it myself. I was implying it, but... <laughs> okay. So when you... After What's you, that, like a, a New York echo, right? Hello! Shut the fuck up! <laughs> it was like, what was it? Um, coming to America. Good morning! Yeah. <laughs> fuck, sh- fuck you, too! <laughs> Good morning! Morning, my neighbors! Hey, fuck you! Yes! Yes! Fuck you, too! I love 
love that movie. Oh, so good. Oh, uh, quick sidebar. I dated uh, John Amos's, the dad from that movie. Yeah. Uh, not him, but his ex-wife. Nice. I don't know. It's just, I, feel, I feel good you about myself. You dated his ex-wife? Yeah, who's slightly younger than he is, but still. Okay. I feel good about myself. Yeah. Uh, just slightly, though, like a week. <laughs> <laughs> so after you saw Axel for the first time and he just appeared to you before you like some sort of... Uh, Rock and roll, like you can just tell that this guy had it. He was going to be yeah, because I'm one of those guys that just got went to every show, you know, like whenever there was a band or a club or whatever. And so, I mean, I mean, just a couple months before that, I think I saw like Dio, and then I saw Black Sabbath with Ian Gillen singing, and like you know, Crocus Accept. Like I seen all every band, Maiden, and it's like man, this guy's right up there with them, even back then, you know. And he just got better from there, mm-hmm. so. That's the thing, because like the next day, I was like telling Mike and Dave, I was like, "Man, that that Izzy singer, that guy singing for Izzy's great." And they started making fun of him, God. like because they they're like the classical Halford, like ah, yep. you know. And it's like okay. I like the Bon Scott, and the, you know, like sure. yeah, McCaffrey, the whatever McCaffrey from Nazareth, whatever. Mm-hmm. I just love that raspy voice shit, you know. Yeah. Yep. So I was just like, man, you guys. And so I just didn't say nothing. I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. But I'm like, I'm going to go see that band whenever I get a chance. <laughs> Sometimes it's better, just, broke up. It's, just, it's better just to know what's going to happen instead of telling the guys, you know, what's going to happen. Oh, sure. I just couldn't believe, like, they couldn't notice, you know, like, just at least accept it. Just total, you know, total competition. Guitar players, if they see a guitar player that's good or great, they'll say it. They won't say, oh, that guy sucks. But cool. singers, yeah, they, every singer thinks they're the best in the world. But that's part of being a singer. You just have to think. Yeah. Any kind of performer, like the like singer, actor, actor, singer, yeah, it's like, I'm, I'm the best, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, Michael certainly, you know, like when I first talked to Michael, he, he had announced to me first, I am not a Guns N' Roses fan. You need to understand that. I said, hmm. okay, whatever, man. You know, but you were around. I just need to hear your story. And so he never once had anything good to say about Axel. And uh, so, you know, I, I'm not going to talk to the guy. Yeah, down some of the stuff, some of the stuff he said about Axel is really rough and oh, very inaccurate. Terrible stuff. I mean, and, and, yeah, yeah, it's like. Well, can we talk about this? So, because I'm not familiar. I don't know. I mean, it, it just seems like it would be repeating something that's not true, and well, then he, it would be like, "Well, Raz said." He implied to yeah, me. Yeah, Mike, Mike and Axel just did not get along even back in the day. But I, I don't know. It might have been something that predated. It was a girl, like me being. Mm. Yeah, I mean, they they had like the same girlfriend at one point. Would actually Mike went out with her first, and then Axel. Yep. Like later or whatever, and then. And then another thing is like everybody liked like they were in a common band together, right? And everybody just liked Axel better. Yeah. So I'm for Mike, you know, his jealousy. ego was like, well, you know, possibly. Well, like he left, he left LA Guns, you know, or after he left LA Guns, and then Guns N' Roses started, and they just got huge quick. And it's like, you know, Mike, you know, because <laughs> Axel was in LA Guns, and they were drawn good. Then Mike came in the band, and they were drawn all right, and then the the draw got less and less and then Guns N' Roses started and the draw just fucking blew up yeah. you know like so I mean I mean connect you know, the dots a little bit it's too bad I mean I, I, I like that first EP I love it actually you know especially the, the song Don't Love Me and I love Mike's uh, vocals on it um <laughs> but I remember I played I played that in Hollywood Rose for my wife, and she's just like, you know, he he sounds good. It's just it's a little too operatic. It's a little too rehearsed. You listen to Axel, it's totally dangerous and out of control, and just like a, a animalistic. And you're just more drawn to that because it's it's I don't know, it's more intriguing, I guess. Yeah, Mike Mike was a technical guy. Like he just did you know vocal training and all that, and 
So, yeah, you know, I don't know. I just think Mike didn't have the drive that Axel had. Like, Mike was plenty talented enough, and he was plenty good-looking enough, and he was in the right place. But he just didn't – he just was waiting for the world to come to him, you know, yeah. instead of going out there and taking it. And I attribute it also to, to location. You know, he this is a guy who grew up in Hollywood. Axel hitchhiked across the country to Hollywood from Indiana. Right. You know, and, like, if you see where Mike grew up, I mean, it wasn't like a – I don't. my impression wasn't from a wealthy family, but he has a, you know, a really nice home. He took me to his – He has a bitchin' house, man. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and behind it they still have the studio where they used to perform, and there's, there's, a, there's a banner on the back wall. It's just a shire. It's really cool. Oh, really? It's, it's got aluminum foil stars on it. This thing's it's, – it's, it's back behind all this stored crap, you know, and it's still there from 1980 or so. I think if Mike had to survive, like, if – he didn't have it so he's like you're like you say he just lived there and yeah. it was like it's i mean he had awesome hot girlfriends and everything like you know like strippers and bartenders and right so he everything was just handed to him so he didn't actually ever have to fight to survive yeah and i think i think he had it in him like if somebody were just like fuck you dude you're on your own you got to do this i think he had it in him but he ne- he never got tested like that so well, you know well i wanted to talk to you about it because he implied you did not like Axel's voice in the in the studio, and I'm like, how is that possible? And so, you know, and I you're going to hear it in just the way you described it now, like how you just you you just yeah, the cadence I love of Axel's your voice. voice from the first time it's on. And you can, not yeah. only can the guy sing, he's a hell of a fucking front man too. You know, so it's like there was, you know. It's funny because like now they're on these huge stages or whatever, but back then, like on the club, man, it would just like he would just own the place. You know, like Axel, we're talking Axel, so. Right. That's another thing. Like when Mike was in LA Guns, I would, I would try to get him. Like, dude, you gotta move around. You gotta like get into it. Like, my old saying is, you know, like if you don't love your band, why should I love my band? If you don't love your band enough to rock out, why should I rock out? Right, man. Oh, okay. So I like that. So that's what I would tell him. You know. So yeah. So yeah, Mike's full of shit. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. I mean, I, he was full of shit. I mean, I yeah. Well, I mean, let's I, get back to the book that's not yes, full of yes. shit. So then, yeah, okay, there you go. then uh, so you you had seen Axel. Your friends are just like for some reason they don't get it. They don't get the voice. So what's the what what was the the next interaction? Oh, so because of my accident, I was like waiting on a on a settlement. Okay. So basically, that summer after I saw Axel, so, so Rose broke up after that. That was it. And then so I didn't see any more shows. And and then as soon as I got my settlement money, like in you know. Uh, early summer to 1984, Tracy hit me up to invest in his band, the LA Guns, which it was Pyrus, but Mike had got fired and he reformed the band. And so I wasn't going to do it. And then I heard that Axel was available. Cause I was like, I asked him as I was leaving, I'm like, what's up with the uh, Hollywood Rose or whatever. He's like, Oh, they broke up. And Izzy was jamming with this band called London, which is kind of a big local band out here. Sure. And uh, out there, <laughs> I'm in Vegas. I forgot. <laughs> so, uh, so Tracy's like wanted me to invest in this band. I'm like, oh, I'll think about it, you know. And uh, and then when I heard that Axel was available, and I was like, man, if I could get Axel and Tracy together, man, that would fucking be huge. Because <laughs> Tracy's a shredder. I mean, no matter what I think about him now, I mean, the guy can play guitar, you know. Wow. So I mean, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Yeah. So then but, I was like, oh, I'll think about it. And then uh, then I went went on a road trip with my brother, pick up my brother from Northern California, bring him back, and. When I came back, I was like, yeah, Tracy, I'll invest in your band. And my whole reason was to try to get Axel to join hmm. L.A. Guns. And this is so. all because they came to you for your settlement money, because obviously all those bands are broke. Uh, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. 
So, but you obviously, you don't care. I mean, you don't think they're taking advantage of you. Uh, because of this, you but you like well, you know, like I have this money, but that's it's going to be my way, and that's what you wanted Axel to be in LA. I was kind of in charge, though. I mean, I okay, I good. Did, I still think like at some point, like Tracy wasn't all in complete up and up with me, and it, it was pretty much like he was looking at the sack of money that he thought I had. I mean, that's why I, I ask because I mean, you you can be like just like you said, nobody was. You know, like just like for me, my friends they forget I'm handicapped half the time until they, you know, I, I go to the elevator and uh, you know I, rem- I remind them like, hey, I'm not Jesse Owens, I can't walk as fast as you can. Uh, but you no, know, everything uh, with the wheelchair, nobody cared. You go to concerts, all these things, but you never know if someone's going to take advantage of you. And back in the day, when you know whoever's doing drugs and everyone's trying to be famous, you just never know if they they are going to take advantage of you. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I had paperwork, though. I, I, we went to a lawyer and everything, so it was uh, – I mean, I didn't put that much money into L.A. Guns. So, I mean, I guess – I mean, at the time – I the way I figured it at the time after L.A. Guns broke up and the EP was done and everything, I put about twenty grand. Okay. So we, we had our name everywhere. I mean, we had the billboards on top of the rainbow and matchbooks and <laughs> posters everywhere and stickers. And, we I mean, we fired the fuck out of Hollywood, man. <laughs> like, everybody heard about L.A. Guns. I think people need so, to understand. How, how old were you at this point? You're right. eight, 18 or so? Uh, 19. I was 19. But See, I mean, that's... you're such a kid. I mean, now, now like people in their <laughs> 30s and 40s are doing that and thinking they're kids, you know? And But they wouldn't be as intelligent as you were back then to, to get these contracts, to do these things, to invest your money, you know, you felt uh, intelligently at the time. Uh, so, I mean, that, that's a lot. This The four years from your, your accident, you're 15 to 19 to doing this, just those four years is insane to me. I mean, yeah, you know, it was fun though. <laughs> See, that's the thing. Like, I, I mean, it's about twenty grand, maybe twenty five or whatever. And then I spent a lot. I mean, I only got a hundred thousand back then, ninety eight thousand, and I spent fifteen, sixteen on a car. And then, so I bought, I bought a bunch of fucking cocaine, though, man. <laughs> there was a guy upstairs from you know used to sell blow, which isn't good, you know, when you got like ATM. <laughs> Yeah, so, that's, and that's just party and buying everybody food and everything like that. Like I was like the meal ticket. Right, so. that's what I'm thinking of. Uh, what was it, Rick James? It's an ex- it's a hell of a drug. It's an expensive drug. Uh, I think that's like with Nikki Six would always blow any sort of paycheck on on drugs. I mean, they all did back in the day. So I mean, even in, that's why that was another thing I was thinking of. In addition to investing in the band, I have I have to think you would invest in their lifestyle, in your mm-hmm. lifestyle. Yeah, you know though I. I don't think I, I mean, I I share, but I don't share unlimited. Okay. Like, I mean, like I'd give somebody a bump or something like that. Or we would like the pot was pretty much free flow. And now, like if we were smoking pot, like I'd get an ounce of pot or something and we'd all smoke, you know, but like when it came to the hard drugs, I, I mostly kept that to myself. And cause the, the dealer lived upstairs. I would just go up to his house and we'd bring chicks up there and everything. We were buddies too. <laughs> so, so then, uh, so, yeah, we all lived in a, in a little, I had like a single apartment. Mm-hmm which was like two miles from that studio, which was on sun, right by the sunset Garner. So that's, everybody took showers at my place and there was probably like five or six people living in the studio apartment. But, and that was where the offices, the LA guns, Raz records offices were. So yeah, that was, it was kind of just like a place where everybody took showers and slept, you know, wherever there was a place to lay down. So the, uh, sunset and Gardner studios, um, the one in which LA guns rehearsed, that wasn't the one that eventually housed uh, GNR, was it? I mean, that was in the same like 
Uh, yeah, it was right next door. Okay. So there was a bunch of garages or, you know, that somebody had converted into studios. A guy named Billy. And he rented them out hourly. Okay. And it was like, you know, 11, 12 bucks an hour or something. But we wanted a lockout. So I went over there. I was like, hey, uh, can, can we get this as a lockout? And he's like, no, I'm, I'm doing it hourly. And I go, just give me a price. So he threw this number at me, and, I, and he said like six fifty or something like that. A month? And I, a month, yeah. And he, I think he thought that I was going to say, oh, that's too much. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then like all of a sudden, then it became, he realized that he, because I owned a studio like 10 years later, and you put a lot of hours in. And I think he realized, like, okay, I'm going to make half as much money, but I never have to be here. Right. And he was just like happier than a pig and shit at that point. So, <laughs> so it became like monthly lockouts after that, and then. That was only he only had that one studio at first, a big room, and then, but he had control of all the other garages, and he made them all into like monthly lockout studios. Uh, so the one that LA Guns had was Studio A, and then right next door to his office, what became Studio B, is where Guns and Roses ended up getting like at the end of '85, I believe. Okay. So basically, yeah. like a year and a half later, they rented, like in the fall of '85, they rented it, and there was a band called The Wild that was in the LA Gun studio with Dizzy Reed. Yeah, busy, yeah. Man. Okay. So, I mean, I've always wondered how did they eventually find this place? You know, I, I had this picture in my head of Axel and Izzy, you know, walking down Sunset, like, hey, what's, you know, what, what are those uh, storage facilities back behind there? Maybe we could rent one of those. So, oh, yeah, you don't, but you you don't, don't think they got a real estate agent? So you don't think they, 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 they no, of course not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course not. It's a parking lot now, man. Right. <laughs> no, you know what's weird? It's like, we, so we throw these rager parties back there. And like sell beer, like brother Jojo was the stage manager for, manager for Guns N' Roses, and uh, we'd sell like after hours parties, like two in the morning till like sun up. We'd sell beer out of the trunk of a '65 Mustang. We'd throw a bunch of ice in there, like ten cases of beer, <laughs> and just sell them for like a dollar a pop. But we got that beer for free, so it was like all profit. Perfect. So yeah, it was great. But it's weird, like only one time a cop walked down that alley. <laughs> like, nobody would ever, like if you didn't know. It was weird how it. Yeah, nobody, nobody ever wandered back there. Well, it's unless little, you knew to look. It, it, it's not that visible from sunset. I mean, you kind of got to walk up. Or, I yeah, mean, at least the way it is now. Little, yeah. Well, not from sunset. Actually, it was from Gardner Street. It was the only entrance back there. Oh, there was really? a wall right there in between Guitar Center. I did not know that. Okay. Yeah, so you had to catch it from Gardner Street, and the cop just came back there, and he was a detective. And he shined his light, and everybody's like, oh, cop, right? Because the <laughs> flashlight means cop. Mm-hmm. So everybody's like stashing their bears. And he just looks around. And he's like, "Hey, did anybody run back here?" Like, I guess he was following somebody. And we're like, "No." He's like, "Okay," and he just left. <laughs> left you. But I mean, cops went back there, obviously. Yeah, well, I get clearly. I guess so. Well, I guess we. Well, later, because I think I think Dizzy got arrested. They thought he was Axel or something. <laughs> I, I guess we ought to go into if uh, GNR formation. Yeah, so that's that's the next thing I want, I want to get into is because you you've seen them. Um, then now you're trying to invest in LA guns, but only if Axel's involved with Tracy. Yeah. So yeah, we're in a, so Axel joins LA guns. He eventually like, after telling me like four times, like, no, I kept hitting him up and I just gave up. And then he just called me out of the blue one day and I guess he had gone home to Indiana and he decided that he was going to give Tracy a shot. And Tracy had been, Tracy's good at smoothing people. So he had like talked Axel into it. And he so then Axel, but he didn't want to do ahead. it first. He didn't want to do it first. Like, no, cause he said he didn't think that he, that Tracy and him were on the same page. Musically. Okay. Oh, okay. And then I remember Tracy's like, just offer him a pair of leather pants and he'll join. <laughs> and I was like, Axel's that easy, huh? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I don't want him in the band. If that's what it fucking got to do. 
So when I told Axel that later, you know, I was like, hey, uh, when we when he called and said he wanted to join, I was like, hey, dude, like to what I told him what Tracy said, and Axel was like, I wouldn't join a fucking band if you gave me a car and a house <laughs> if I wasn't into it. And I'm like, oh, okay, good, good to hear. Yeah, that so yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. And then, man, it was great, man. LA Guns with Axel was great. <laughs> how, can, you, how long, can you believe that? I know. How long were they <laughs> a thing? Like, not that long, man. I think. I think fuck, I forgot what I wrote in my book. Was it like five shows they said or something like that? Maybe I six. think so. It I was so, um, yeah. Troubadour was first. Yeah, yeah. Basically, Axel quit on Halloween, okay. like Halloween night. We had this little thing at the Rainbow where he got in an argument with the with the Michael, the assistant manager. Okay, and then I got kicked out too. And I got mad at Axel. I was like, you got me fucking kicked out, man. There's all those whores in there right now. <laughs> and he's like, I can't believe you're mad at me. And he quit. And I was like bombed. I was like, fuck, dude. I mean, I, I pretty much, I mean, I'm a dick. You know, I'm sure I got in his face and fuck shit sometimes. But not, most of the time I kind of deferred and just like, okay, dude, whatever. You know, like we'd argue. Everybody argues, you know. Sure. But then, but yeah, he quit over that. But then he told me later. Like later after, you know, when he was getting ready to kick Tracy at LA Guns later, you know, like the next year, that he quit because he didn't like Tracy. Like he was tired of Tracy's shit because Tracy, like Axel wanted to play in a band that was kind of like what Guns N' Roses became and Tracy's a metalhead. Mm. So Tracy like would t- told Axel he wanted to do like a blues bass, kind of hard rock, Aerosmith-ish, you know. And, thing. Yep. and the next thing you know, he's playing like, you know, Sabbath and, you know, metal stuff, you know, like. <laughs> Huh? And and Axel already knew Slash at this point. Oh yeah, they'd already been in uh, Hollywood Rows together. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, because uh, yeah, I'm bouncing all over. Sorry, guys. No, but Axel. Um, well, that's why you have it all in a book. But so. this, but, the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but Axel had already started recording um, with LA Guns. They already stepped. Into yeah, the we were recording. Yeah, we had we had done. Oh, all so more than just live tracks. shows. Yeah, yeah. So we did the live shows and then. Uh, then uh, we were recording, and the Axel had laid down vocals for Heartbreak Hotel because they, they covered that, uh, mm. what you call it, Elvis Presley tune. Right. And uh, he laid the track down for that, and then the producer guy was a dick. I mean, I like him. Don't I? When, he was, when it came to like interacting with Axel, he was a dick. He would try to get Axel to stand still in the studio and don't move around and everything like that. So they had like, a confrontation about that, and then Axel left, and then. And, I told the producer guys, like, look, Chuck, don't tell him what to do. Just let him sing. Let him sing the song. That's how it works. If he needs to dance around when he's singing, let him dance around. And then, yeah, we never made it back in the studio after that. The guys just finished the tracks, like the basic tracks of the non-vocals. And then Axel was supposed to come in, but before then, he quit. Wow. So then bring Michael in. And, then, uh, and the rest is that was like L.A. Guns history. Yeah, that's that's when we brought Mike in. Yeah, yeah. Back then. So but that's you got why fired, I think though. they get... What? No, no, go ahead, go ahead. I, I never got fired. No, no, no. You you were saying that you were the first Gene or uh, At least it said that. Oh, manager to get fired. Yeah, that was just a joke. Huh? Oh, <laughs> I guess I took it seriously. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I don't... But I'm, I was saying they, they kicked yeah. you... Well, I guess what I was... Um, I used the wrong terminology for this part of it. They kicked you out or whatever to say goodbye, and you, you had to leave all the horrors because of you and... Because you were Axe's no, buddy? No, so Mike, Mike joined... Like a, this is when Mike joined. So it was a couple weeks later, we... Tracy wanted to audition singers, and he was like, no, Mike, no, Mike. But I kind of like, fuck, Mike knows the songs. We got shows booked. 
right? And like, let's just do this, finish this EP. I was, I'm thinking purely business right here, you know, and I'm, I'm not understanding how the art process works. Like if Tracy doesn't want to jam with Mike, no matter what I do, I can't make him jam with Mike. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking that I have the power to do something like that, which I really didn't. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So that's why the band LA Guns with Mike and the EP lasted for another four months was because I still had money. Mm-hmm. So I was still in control. Gotcha. <laughs> but once I went broke, I mean, the record was done and like that EP got done and like nobody was, Oli was the only one that would help me go out and try to sell it. Like everybody else was just like, once the EP was done, it was just like, Rob was busy, like breaking up with his girlfriend in the Valley, you know, one of those slow breakup things. <laughs> so he never, he never had time to go out and like, it's it's people that don't know LA. Like if you live in the city and the, the valley is like a whole world away. So if you're in the valley, you're kind of like lost to the yeah. human race. I got to get my ass out to California one of these days because I'm so lost. The furthest furthest out west I've ever been is Minnesota, which is not oh, fucking. You out. have to go out. I go know. Go west, young man. I, <laughs> one of these days. One of these days. Uh, so what? What? Okay. Happened? So then. Yeah. Okay. Then. So later, when so. Tracy and me are living in the house together in North Hollywood, California. And LA Guns has a show that's booked, it's like, even though there's no band. Because Mike, he won't, he said, no Mike, no Mike. So Axel starts hanging around because JoJo, my brother, was friends with Axel. Tracy was friends with Axel. And Tracy wanted to start another band with this guy, Don Costa, who played, uh, he played with Ozzy for a minute. So Tracy's thinking he's going to start a band with Tony Richards, the Wasp drummer, and. Axel and Don Costa. So Axel's coming around and we're, everything's cool. We're getting along fine. There's no animosity about the LA Guns thing or whatever. We're just, just friends hanging out. And then, so Hollywood Rose played a one-off show in, I guess, February or March, probably March of 1985. And they got Robbie, the LA Guns drummer, to play the drums. Then after that show, like a couple days later, you know, everybody's hanging out. And I was like, uh, Tracy tells Axel, it's like, hey, we got this show at the Troubadour, LA Guns show. Will you do the show? Like, And Axel just immediately says yes. And I was like, oh, my God, I could not believe it. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's cool. The complete opposite so, of what it was before, yeah. Yeah, because I was like, he quit. And like, and Tracy wanted me to beg him back when he quit LA Guns. And I was like, I didn't do anything. Like, how can I? I'm not one of those people that can apologize when I don't think I did anything wrong. Sure. Even if I did do something wrong, if I don't think I did something wrong, I'm not going to apologize. So, which I probably should have. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> in retrospect, so you can't, as a tributor, you couldn't cancel a show. You have to. It's, so LA Guns has a show book, and you can't cancel it. And if you don't play, you can never play there again. Oh, wow. And I, like I said, I got $20,000 into promoting this name, L.A. Gun. Oh, wow. And I got an EP. And I, at this point, I don't realize this EP, nothing's ever going to happen with this EP. I'm still thinking, like, okay, we're going to get the band together. We're going to go on the road. and We're going to sell some records. So I was like, I got to keep this name because you have to play the Troubadour. So then when Axel said he'd do the show, I was like, that's awesome. So he... he uh, so then Tracy went and made a flyer for LA Guns with Axel's little picture and everything. And uh, then when the Axel came back to check out the artwork, and I was like, I oh, I had already heard the name Guns N' Roses because Axel, uh, Mike got mad at Tracy. I was like, if you do that Guns N' Roses thing, I'm going to quit. And I was like, man, that's a great name. So, yeah, bouncing back and forth, sorry. So then flash forward back to March when uh, Axel said he'd do the LA Guns show. I was like, hey, why don't you uh, – 
If you're going to do that Troubadour show, why don't you do that Guns N' Roses thing you're talking about and get, bring Izzy in? And then Axel's like, I'll ask him. And the only reason I said that is because I just wanted to clear the L.A. Guns name. I just wanted to keep the name because I, I legally owned the name. And I wanted to be able to whatever band I in the future put together, because I thought I was Peter Grant at that time. <laughs> I was like, whatever band I put together, I will just have them play under the name L.A. Guns. And I can play the Troubadour. You just so, needed that branding. That's all you needed. But what was yeah, the, I needed, the gun, the, yeah. the quote, uh, the air quote, Guns and Roses thing that was previously mentioned? Was that mentioned? Okay, so. Yeah, go ahead. So Tracy, and, oh, this is when L.A. Guns, like, right, like, the, a week before, like, the last show they ever did with Mike. And Tracy, I come to the studio over there, Gardner, and Tracy is, had fired Mike. And Mike's just pissed drunk. And uh, I guess Mike had pawned something that belonged to Tracy or something like that. But it wasn't that big of a deal. It was something that was sitting around the studio. Mike just got like 15 bucks so he could buy some more happy hour drinks or whatever. <laughs> I mean, basically, this shit would have been out of pawn the next day. But so Tracy's like, I, I calmed everybody down. I was like, come on, dude. We got to do this show at the Cuts Club. You can't break up the band now. We got a record out, blah, blah, blah. And so I, I had Tracy calm down. But then Mike was still being a dick. And then Tracy just laughs, and as Tracy's leaving, Mike yells, and if you do that Guns N' Roses thing, I'm going to fucking quit. And then, like, when uh, Mike went back inside the studio and I said to JoJo, I go, hey, what's, what's that Guns N' Roses, man? And he's like, oh, that's a jam band that Tracy and Axel were thinking of doing together. I'm like, oh, that's my God. a great name. Jam band. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, supposed it's a side project. Yeah, right. So I guess nobody wanted me to know because, I guess, because... Tracy, you know, was in LA Guns, and it's like, you know, and I'm investing in his band and managing his band. It's like, why would he do a side project, you know? So right, yeah, that's wow. funny. Wow, it's okay, a great name. Have... Like, you guys remember the first time you heard that name? It's just one of those names you hear. Oh, and he's like, I'll never forget. It. I still think it's the best rock and roll name I'll... ever. So, the fa- is, but you, man. but you're the, but you, uh, just to go, what you iterate, reiterate what you just said. You're like, oh, that's that's a cool band name. Like, that's like a joke now when you hear something like weird, you know. Uh, Purple Monkey Dishwasher. Well, that's a great band name. But you I agree. It's perfect. <laughs> I never when I heard Larry, in, in the Larry King interview with Slash the last couple of years, Larry King's like, it's a great name. <laughs> <laughs> what you talk about? <laughs> I remember when the, that down in the studio when Guns N' Roses was over there at Gardner, like right before they got signed. So they were pretty big around Hollywood and like not only famous, but infamous, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> so people would come tell us like, Hey, we got pulled over and the cops were like, Hey, what band are you in? Hmm? And then it would say the name of their band. And they're like, Oh, good. We don't, we don't, we want to, we're looking for those guys in Guns N' Roses. Like the cops, even before they were signed and before they were world famous or whatever, the cops wanted, they heard that name and it sticks in your head and they heard that they were trouble. I mean, it sounds so, like a gang, man. It's, it, 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 yeah. Yeah. Wow. So I remember Axel used to say, like, man, if I ever get pulled over, uh, and, and, uh, okay, let's not give an Axel quote. So I know a singer that used to say, he'd say, like, if I get pulled over and they ask me what band I'm in, I'm going to say I'm in a band called Black Fag Cop. Because <laughs> that was back in the day when it was like the LAPD was all white bread, like, uh, yeah. like, okay. uh, like the pre Rodney King days where yeah. it was like all a bunch of tough white nationalists fucking cops. So. So then where, I guess, where do we go? So you, that's where the Guns N' Roses thing happened. Then I guess the, the name, I, I think that's so funny. It's called the Guns N' Roses thing. Well, I, I think I mentioned this to you okay. on, uh, on, on the just writing with, that there's a crazy um, 
war almost between certain fans who who love to declare that the original Guns N' Roses was the Appetite lineup, and then there's more purists who say, you know, no, original is original. Oh, sure. Let's, let's, let's get, the, get the facts out. You know, Rob, Oli, Ax, uh, Axel, and Tracy, and Izzy. Now, like, what, what would... Well, the Oli detail is something that I, and I don't know if we, we should talk about because I feel like readers of the book should, should, should get into it. Because cause that, you know, people love to throw the... But I guess, uh, I don't know if this is what you're alleding to. Okay, who would you the, say the original Guns N' Roses are? Who would you say? Okay, if I answer this, I want everybody to promise they're going to go buy the book. No, I'm just kidding. No, they should. So, yeah, buy the book. Yeah, yeah, buy the book. Yeah, I hope so. They course. need to buy it because so, this is really important. When I think of the original Guns N' Roses, I mean, Oldie was in the band, but he never played a show. Mm. Yeah, see, that's... So, I mean, a Duff was like the the, play, the very first show, so... But Robbie, the on drums, and Tracy Guns on guitar was... I mean, I think of that as the original lineup. Yeah. With Duff. Yeah. But With here's Duff, the thing, okay. like, like band members, I think, like, Slash and Steve, somebody said something that Slash said they remember playing with Oli. Here's something, like, what, this is what Oli told me. But Slash remember playing so, with Rob, definitely. Yeah, but, uh... But then Rob yeah, said he see, didn't that's play the thing, I don't, Yeah, I don't think Rob and Slash ever played, though. Hmm. So, oh, okay, because Oli told me, like, he he didn't say anything. When I, when I told him that he was out of the band, they got a new bass player, like, he just was like, oh, whatever. And then when me and him went to see the cult, uh, Guns N' Roses opened for the cult after Appetite for Destruction came out. Mm-hmm. And on the way home, me and Oli drank, like, 20 Heinekens or whatever. <laughs> I, I might I might not have been operating a motor vehicle, but Oli <laughs> told me he's like he's like like bummed out on the way home. He's like, why am I not in that band? I should get my be getting my dick sucked in like twenty different languages right now. Mm. <laughs> and then I was like, dude, you made your choice. You know, at the time, you know, don't regret. You know, march forward. And he's like, I didn't choose to not be in that band. But then, so what happened? He said. When he when he when I told him he wasn't in GNR anymore and he went to pick up his gear at the studio, Slash and Steven were over there jamming because Slash was in a band with the the bass player Willie Bass who owned the studio where GNR rehearsed. So Oli went to pick up his gear. Slash and Steven are there, so he starts jamming with them. Huh. So they're thinking they're just going to get a, a singer and start a band. So Oli actually lost out twice on GNR. You know, so he's in GNR, and then he's forming a band with Slash and Steven, and they end up going into GNR. Oh, man. Oh, my so, God. It's like the Buffalo Bills. Of I don't know if you know. Yeah, it, it bummed him out, man. He was he was a sad man, man, about all that. And when he died uh, 1990-ish or something? Yeah, you know, I, I well, think it was 91. All right, so even with all the, the musical chairs going on, you know, and, and I mean, I don't know how else to, to put it, you, you've... You you've been invo- you were still involved though you were still uh, in the in the camp. yeah so I made a decision early on that I would rather be a fan and like when, see the thing is when you like involved business wise with a band you have to fight with them and you have to argue and you have to herd them around and try to manipulate and do all this shit mm. just because you got to protect your investment and your time sure but I was like man I just love this band I just want to go I want to be able to drink twenty beers at their shows instead of drinking two beers. You know, and I I don't want to have to count heads at the door to make sure like we're getting paid and all this shit. And I realize that bands don't need a manager when you just start out. You need a manager when there's actually something to manage. But at that point, it's like just let them go and see what happens. So by the time, uh, I mean, I I uh, got in a little argument with my brother and he was staying at my house and Axel was staying over there too. And uh, 
I got an argument with my brother, and then I threw in some shit talking to Axel at the same time, and they both stormed out. And I didn't see GNR for like three months after for after that. I just mm. like boycotted him. I was like, I, I'm one of those people like I hold a grudge with both hands. <laughs> so I didn't go see the band and nothing. And then I just ran. I happened to see Izzy on the freeway. We were stuck in traffic, and he's like, "Hey, Raz, come to our show tonight. We're playing the Country Club." And that was the sh- I hadn't seen him like all summer. Like I'll go, and it's like I hear you guys are opening for Jet Boy, and it's like, no, we got switched to headliners. So I went to the show, and they, that's for the first time they played Paradise City. Wow! And I was like, man, that song. I thought it was a maybe it was Welcome to the Jungle. Ah, whatever. So um, <laughs> either one. <laughs> so I, I remember, yeah, it was Paradise City. I think they played at that show, and I remember thinking, man, they're doing a cover. Huh. It was that good. I was like, man, this song's that good, and then. They got the Gardner studio after that, and they were signed like within like three or four months. So Amazing. they got big so quick, like even around town by the LA standards at the time. Mm-hmm. I think it was a year to, oh, you know, like a year and like two weeks to the day they actually played their first show. They were signed to major label, which is kind of incredible. But they deserve it, you know. At least the A and R people were doing their job. So then, how do you feel? Because in a way, you kind of, you know, you saw this Axel guy. You're like, I gotta get, you know, do something with him. And you're investing all this money into LA Guns, and then you wanted to invest if Axel was involved. So how did you feel when you saw some, you know, this band from essentially your hometown? I know, you know, not everyone's from LA uh, in GNR. But how did you feel? Did that give you a sense of? Uh, I don't want to say pride or like, hey, I was right about these guys. I was right, you know, or or hey, these are my friends. Yeah, but I, like, what, like, what? How did you feel like when that happened? I'm, you know, I'm so used to being right about stuff. That, you know, kinda... <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> you know, I just, just don't like, tell that know, to a like, woman. <laughs> oh yeah, yes, dear. <laughs> I, you know what? I knew it, and it's like, you know what? Nobody knows that some band's going to become like, you know, the biggest thing of their era. Or whatever. I, I knew they would sell records, and I knew they were going to be huge. And, but I, you know, who, who knew that they were going to be playing stadiums like you know thirty years later still? You know, because I just saw um, Lady Gaga uh, here in, at City Field, and uh, it's like my first show of like that. I usually just go to rock shows. I'm seeing Danzig. I love, I love Gaga, man. Uh, I, think she, I think she's incredible. I wanted to put out yeah, I love a her, straight dude. rock record. I would love her to collaborate. Wouldn't that be great. Yeah, yeah. I would love her to collaborate with GNR. We'll talk about collaborations later on. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, but so when when I went there, uh, I lost my tra- my train of thought. I'm not even high either. Something God. about Gaga. Yeah, no, I, I know it was about. Did you did you did you see her years ago or something? No, or? no, I just saw her. But I mean, did you have a foresight? Did, like you? Oh no, no, no. Now I know. Now uh, my my brain cells are aligning finally. Uh, so I'm you know acquaintances with some local bands here in New York City. Uh, one of them are the Dirty Pearls, and I've heard about them for quite a while. Uh, and I knew that they were friends with Lady Gaga. And you know they're, they're uh, you know Thirty Pearls are still doing great, headlining the Gramercy Theater, doing a lot of things in New York City. But when Gaga, I mean, thankfully I went to the Monday show when it didn't rain. The next day it poured, but the lead singer uh, Tommy London, she he went on stage with her to perform and kind of opened the show. And that's you know when I've interviewed him in the past just to see, you know, it's like did you notice this you know the Stephanie girl when you were just performing in clubs that she would become. Lady Gaga, and it sounds like kind of like what you were saying, uh, you know, Raz. That you, you know that this person has talent, but you just never can imagine the the heights that it would go to. You know, okay. Here's here's the thing. Like, there's people that they're really good and, and even great or whatever. And then there's the people that are legendary, and it's like they're just so far above, like the next level below them. 
like I had a, I had a rehearsal studio in the Valley, like after the GNR days or whatever. And I had a bunch of people like, you know, like on their way up and on their way down, that would practice there. But let's say like a band, like Robin Crosby from rat used to practice my place and he'd be in a room playing and people would come in. It's like, who's that? That guy's great. Right. So it's like, but there'd be like all the other time there'd be people playing that were really good and people wouldn't say anything, you know, like John number five, John five or whatever, John Laurie at the time he jammed, he jammed over there and people would come in like, that guy's great. Who's that? Or whatever. Or like, a, you know, like, it's just weird. Like it's they, they, people just sound better, different, louder, you know, I don't know. It was louder. It was, yeah, there's just something about it. You know, that, you were able to it tell. Stands out. You were able, yeah. able to tell, even as a you know a young kid. So uh, take because wow. you know we <laughs> we don't want to take uh, up because uh, we appreciate the the time we've been talking to you for almost an hour. We don't want to give away everything in your books, but uh, we're, we're selling books. Oh, I, I hope so. I, that's that. Would be, <laughs> I, I definitely hope so. Uh, so, but what happened after that with your I guess with your your life, your involvement with these players? Like, who do you still talk to? Because uh, I mean. The fact that you remember half this, this shit is amazing in itself. And yeah, you know all the pot I smoke too. I know. <laughs> so like, after they they signed, you know, take us through your life a little bit. Uh, I mean, not like again without yeah, giving away too. It was much. cool, man. Like watch, you know, and it was cool. You know, like when they first come out, it's just like, I mean, I think their record didn't come. Appetite for Destruction didn't come out until like a year and a couple months after they got signed. So we were all kind of thinking like, you know, like the circle of friends, like, Oh, this ain't going to happen. And something's going <laughs> to, these guys are not going to put a record out. Cause usually bands, they get signed and their records out six, eight, nine months later. Hmm. So finally the album came out. I mean, they did the live, like a suicide and that was pretty good. And they were playing, you know, but then the appetite for destruction came out and then they started playing like, you know, like the cult, the cult was my favorite band at the time. So it's cool. Like here's my buddies, like opening up for the cult. And I'm sitting side stage, like watching them. And I, there's a story from my book, man. So I, I'm in it, watching the GNR from side stage, and I got about five or six Heinekens in me. And I, I decide to go take a piss. So I set my beer on top of the, the stack of power amps in a, in a road case. Mm -hmm. And I'm in the bathroom, and like the GNR is like rocking out, and all of a sudden it's just silent. <laughs> So I was like, fuck, let me go back out there. So I go out, and right as I get there, Axel's like the first one off the stage. He's at the bottom step, and he storms past me. And then, like, the rest of the guys kind of straggle past. And I go to Steve, and I go, like, what happened? It's like, I don't know, the PA went out. Those monitors went out. <laughs> so I look, and my beer is, like, sideways, and there's, like, I guess it's spilled on the power amp or something. <laughs> and it just caused like a chain reaction of like setting down the circuits. Perfect. And then later at the, we were at the, the suites or whatever, those suites where we used to do drugs that were Nikki OD's. Mm. I can't remember. Embassy suites over in Hollywood. The GNR had like some rooms over there and we're hanging out, drinking, doing maybe other stuff. And there's somebody like surmised that the, the cult had cut the, the power or to the PA because they were jealous of GNR. Hmm. And I was like, I don't think they did that. I think it was probably just, <laughs> but I didn't want to tell anybody. Yeah, yeah, you. Uh, hey, you know, it's, I, like, it's almost, I don't know what happened. Wink. Yeah. It's almost 30 years. We can tell the truth now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I was trying to like, like trying to let them know, don't be mad at the cold or whatever. Like <laughs> but yeah, so they had got it. Somebody had got it into their head. Maybe like, that the cult was jealous and it was the GNR's home crowd That's and that funny. they had done that. And I was like, I was sitting there like, Oh man, I got my favorite band in trouble. And it was like, I can't say like, Hey, I fucked you up or the party supplies might stop. <laughs> it's like a Kirby enthusiasm episode. 
but it, yeah, audition. it was crazy, man. And and uh, someone just put a, a video clip from the street scene in '86 up, and uh, and Axel. He says, you know, thanks to the people in, in front of the stage, you spilt water on the electrical cables, the show's over. And he points to somebody and he goes, and you, fuck you. <laughs> I got trampled at that show, man. Uh, oh, man. People weren't, that's, that's something else, too, that I always have to be mindful of. People, like, when you go to shows, I usually try to get, uh, like, for Gaga, I mean, I was sitting down, like, at handicapped seats, but if I... Like uh, I'm trying to think, like for Danzig, there's a there's a uh, place called the Paramount on on Huntington. When I saw George Thurgood there, I can go like next to the stage and be away from like crazy people. But you know, you are they. I think it was at a uh, Coldplay show where they had somebody in a wheelchair crowd surf. That was awesome. Yeah, I saw that on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, but you were you were right up there, man. You were fucking brave. I love it. No, no. What happened was they. I think the Circle Jerks was supposed to play later. That stage was set up at the back door of Parker Center, which is this. So after GNR played, there was it was like a punk night. Was it Circle Jerks, or, yeah. Circle there was, Jerks, there was supposed I love it. To be, yeah, there was supposed to be, or maybe Agent Orange, but okay. there was some punk band. So the cops just started streaming out of the back door, and in full riot gear and everything like that. And they're like this show's over, so they canceled the show. Hmm. So I moved. I was like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna get out of here, right?" So the girl I was with, like, I want to stay and see. I'm like, no, there's going to, they have riot gear on. That means there's going to be a riot. <laughs> you know, it's like, so I went around the corner and I thought I was in a safe spot. I guess it was just, there was only one way out. So once the cops started charging the crowd, everybody, oh, like, and they just trampled me, man. Like I was sitting there, like, uh, like I knocked out of my chair and it was like, Jesus. oh my God, dude. You but were. according to the news, there was no riot. <laughs> Great. Unbelievable. Man, Raz, you've had such an insane life. Uh, do, do you speak to any anyone in the camp uh, today? Are you involved with anyone today? Uh, no. I, I mean, I saw Robbie yesterday, but that doesn't count, does it? <laughs> sure. I, uh, sure. I mean, because uh, <laughs> I mean, you knew these guys back in the day, so I don't know if it's just the way life goes. Do you just feel out of touch? Yeah, you or? know, like, yeah, you just... Uh, what happened was like, okay, so after they got done with the Appetite for Destruction tour or whatever, they all kind of came and all of a sudden my broke friends had tons of money and they were like buying fast cars and dating supermodels and everything like that. And and then like I'd see them around and then I opened the studio and then I started working like 16 hour days. And when the uh, User Illusions albums came out, I, had, I couldn't take time off. I couldn't go to the tours or anything. And then I mean, I ran into Axel over at Dizzy's house a couple of times, like, you know, after the Use Your Illusion tours were over, and we, everything was cool and everything like that, but it, I don't know. I never said, hey, I didn't go to your show, and he's like, hey, you didn't go to my show. Like, <laughs> he don't care. You know, he's got... I mean, how many of us still hang out with people that we hung out with? That's true. Oh, right. That's, That's why true. I was posing in that way. I mean, That's, it doesn't have to anything to yeah. do with the celebrity. It can just be life itself, but, just but, the way yeah, it goes. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's, it's not, I mean, people change. Things get different. Oh, know? yeah. Well, that's what's yeah, interesting sure. about your book is that, um, first, I wanted to say that you give such a great impression of Axel as a person besides being a performer that, that most people don't touch upon in, in, in any book that's been out there. But also, you go into what it was like seeing him and and sort of showing changes that he was experiencing you know the pressures that were coming on him without even touching upon it just in terms of how he started dealing with people sort of maybe closing himself off a little bit and uh and to me that was one of the more heartbreaking moments of the book and i think people should really people need to read that and learn that and like like this this guy goes through being this 
kid from Indiana, you know, like like aspiring artist, all of a sudden he explodes, and maybe he just wasn't prepared for the change that I was gonna. Well, that's what's come fascinating on. a lot about you know uh, about not only your, your book Raz, uh, but just in, in general. That's all we try to do here on this podcast. Of course, we're just talking about you know Guns N' Roses and yeah, we like the rock and roll, but just uh, going in, in depth <laughs> and, and finding about the the emotions and the players. And we've talked about that. Well, like why I identify with Axel and you know depression and anger. You know, it's it's deeper than just you know the the outside. The lyrics are nice, but like what's behind the lyrics? What are the story behind mm-hmm. the lyrics so you know finding out about your story is just a, a complimentary to everything else that we're, we're we've been trying to do here and in order for anyone to understand why you were in the position that you were with them is because of your life your lifestyle and your life it, to Which me had like, a lot of i thought it was so <laughs> yeah. crazy i just said it was ab- it was just like madness so what are you up to uh to now in addition to of course uh you, you finishing the book and or is it ever all just trying to get that out there or what's yeah that? just you know i'm in uh i'm in like full book selling mode and uh promotion and everything like that so i it's it's weird man because uh i guess that would have been one of the benefits of getting an agent and going for a regular publishing deal and everything would have been like i, I wouldn't have to worry about all this stuff right now but so i'm just kind of like getting my bearings like figuring out what's working and what's not working so yeah i've just been spending my days doing that i should be writing more I got like three projects I'm working on that just kind of got back burner and don't even, I used to write like 500,000 words a day. I'm lucky if I get like 150 right now. So I just got to get back. I kind of know what that's like. <laughs> no, but I mean, you're, you're, I mean, I'm just incredibly impressed by your life, which you still have so much more to continue. And uh, this book is incredible. You know, uh, John, uh, I was reading, I don't know if you've ever frequented Raz, uh, my GNR forum. It's like you know, one of the bigger Guns N' Roses forums. And before this interview happened, I just started to see chatter about this book. Hey, did you guys, did you read this? Did you read this? No, I, I didn't know about this. I don't know about this guy. And uh, you I've, know, been, so, I've been posting as much as possible. So, the, the, there's a GNR fan spot. And, and, uh, and whenever anyone mentions any other book, I'm like, no, 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 get rid of that. You have to read this. The story is just inspirational. You know, uh, I, I, I know I'm finding it. I, I can I can only imagine what it can do for other people because that's something I've dealt with. What right. can I do when I'm handicapped? We're going to concerts and stuff because well, I want to be a. Uh, that's why I uh, got into radio, wanted to be a part of you know, being around bands and stuff. It's difficult. So the fact that you're here, you sound you sound good. Uh, that's always important. Uh, <laughs> be all high. Hey, what to fucking talk about? <laughs> <laughs> Great sense of humor, dude. I, I mean, I'm being completely honest that I was cracking up watching your stand up from uh, 1990, or you're looking like you're wearing some David Brenner blazer. You know, Isn't that awesome? I love that jacket. Yeah, I was a 40 regular back then, man. <laughs> you were funny. Do you still do comedy? Like, cause you write, do you write no, comedy? You know, at all? I, I, uh, well, yeah, that's my book. Yeah, the book is um, well. Hilarious. In addition to your sense of humor, but do you ever write straight comedy? Because you, you're clearly you a know, very talented jokes. guy. I write jokes, but I don't do anything with them. Oh. It's weird because, you know, like back in the day, I, uh, I thought I was really funny, but then I watched that and it kind of makes me cringe. I was just like practicing, I put stuff up on YouTube when I put that up there. Mm. I was working on my little editing software. Oh, okay, well, uh, so, I, I'm hoping I it... cut all the uh, bombs out. You know, it's only six <laughs> minutes, but that was like a 45 minute show. Oh, you know? Okay, <laughs> you didn't have to say anything. That's funny. <laughs> I know, I'm just kidding. It was only oh, like 10 minutes. Ago. No, no, it, it was funny. It actually made me laugh when you're when you're going up with there in the walker. I just kept thinking, like, if I ever do stand up and I'm going up there with a the cane, what would be the thing that I would say? I 
got a bunch of handicap jokes, man, if you need some material, man. Maybe. We got to collaborate, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No problem, dude. I got them for you. If you're ever out here in New York City, we would love to have you in studio. Uh, it's it's semi-handicap accessible. It's it's I get here every day, so it's usually okay. And it's cool. Oh, there you go. Parking in the city is a bitch. That's the difference. I had us get a, a special, like a little quick sidebar, a special New York City handicap parking pass in addition to the state parking pass. Because, you know, I. Oh, you got to get two? Yeah, because apparently I have to uh. prove myself. You know, like I'm fucking Kaiser Soze here faking it. <laughs> uh, I remember one time I went to Knott's Berry Farm, mm-hmm. and it's an amusement park out here, and uh, I want to. It used to be when you go to amusement parks, if you're in a wheelchair, you just go to the front of the line. Yeah. But enough people, I guess, would just show up with wheelchairs. So they started making you go to the office and check in right. to get a pass. Yes. So I rolled up there and I was like, hey, I'd like to, you know, the pass through the handicap. And they're like, can you prove that you're handicapped? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I, I was like, well, would you like to see the scars on my ass? <laughs> the fungus between my fingers. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's, I've been there. Raz. That's what I'm saying. Like, I identify. I've gotten yelled at by cops saying that's not your pass. Because I, I just don't look, I guess, handicapped. Like, I, people think that it's part of my ensemble. Like, I'm, I'm some sort of pimp. You, know, you probably you probably realize this is like the old ladies are the ones to give you the evil eye. That's the worst. Like, oh 65, 70 year old. Yeah. You oh. can't even sit in your car and eat a burger in a handicapped spot. They just walk, walk by and like, walk around, look at your head, your license plate. Yeah, to see if like, if you're legit. So even if I'm, I'm just hanging out, I just put my handicap uh, pass up. I only come across like at concerts when I went to go see uh, Blue Oyster Cult. I'm like, oh, here's my brethren. Everyone in canes and wheelchairs have seen Blue Oyster Cult. Uh-huh. Uh, so Ra- so it's RazQ.com, correct? Uh, do you have yeah. uh, uh, Twitter? Uh, do you have Facebook? Uh, how can we find you? How- how- I'm on Facebook, and you know what? I just could, I tried the Twitter thing, but I, uh, yeah, no Twitter. And then you got to um, change that, man. If you got one-liners, if you got jokes, you got to get uh, Twitter out there. You got to get into a Twitter fight with Tracy Guns. Oh, you think? Yeah, that's how you. That's how. That's how you're gonna sell your book. You got to get into a, you know a Twitter fight with somebody. That would involve people giving a shit about Tracy, though, wouldn't it? <laughs> so, so stuff like that is what you're saying, right? Right. So okay. So before, I mean, I, I wanted because I've always tried to be careful because you, I, I get your 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 sense of humor. You don't give a shit, and you would you would tell me if. Oh yeah, I don't give a fuck about nothing, man. I, I love I love <laughs> this guy, man. We gotta have you on again. So what? All right. Yeah, so sure. something that we've we've covered with with um. Fuck it, this episode will go long. Uh, we've covered about like what would this reunion bring, of course, whether it's Adler, whether it's Izzy. That's a boring conversation, but we've had it a million times. But like the side players, you know, like we had Chris Weber on, would he ever do it? I mean, obviously he was minor, but it could be a fun thing to do. Uh, it was Matt Sorum, of course. Uh, Tracy Guns, we've brought up. So we, we want to talk about like a little bit about. Tracy, because uh, you said no matter about uh, your your feelings about him, you said that earlier, and I guess in pro- uh, I in probe that uh, that you felt he was still a great musician. So why don't you not like him now? Like what? Like what do you? Like, is there something? <laughs> <laughs> the, the butthead giggle. <laughs> no, it's funny because. Uh... Some people that read my book, they know both of us or whatever. Like, man, you killed Tracy in there. Because we don't know. And we also want to acknowledge because, I mean, we, we put out the invite to Tracy okay. and hopefully we'll get him on the show because we know, we always want to be fair. But we have you on now. so. <laughs> okay, the deal with Tracy is it's not anything like – I, w- I was disappointed that he broke the band up and not giving a shit about like selling a record. Like he could have hung on for another summer. 
you know, that's all it would have tapped, you know. But then we wouldn't have Guns N' Roses. So that's kind of cool that he fucking broke the band up, right? Because mm. then now we got Guns N' Roses. So what really pissed me off was when L.A. Guns reformed, and then I started managing them again, and it was Paul Black the singer and Nikki Beat. Oh, Nikki Alexander, yeah. I call him. So Nikki Alexander on drums, Mick Cripps on bass, Robert Stoddard on guitar. I'm forgetting somebody. Oh, Paul Black. So that lineup was so Robert Sutter wasn't the man Tracy was the guitar player for, and then he quit before their very first show he flaked hmm. so I got the band I got, Mick knew Robert who ended up playing guitar and they ended up being a great band and so the thing I'm pissed off about Tracy is he weaseled his way back into that fucking band fired everybody and then so he he could have started a whole other band like, the people that ended up being in LA Guns he could have just started a band with them so it's kind of like how I feel now. It's just the the brand, and when they had the two LA guns, it, it, it like it didn't matter. It was just kind of like his thing. Is that like so he was? Yeah, you know, it's weird. Like so, I I wanted to like. I mean, I talk shit about Tracy and LA guns. Anybody that would listen out here, like people that know us, and and I remember one time me and my buddy Vinny Stiletto were sitting. It was probably like ninety one, ninety or whatever. We're sitting in the rainbow, and I hear some. You know, it's back in the hair band days, pre Nirvana. It's probably like ninety. And I was, there's a band at the Rainbow. They play hard rock all the time, you know. And uh, I was like, man, who's this band? They're pretty good. And Vinny's like, you don't know? So I guess it was a cocked and loaded L.A. gun. So I actually liked it when I didn't know that it was them. Hmm. So I'm just jaded, you know. Like, I just So like, as a band, I mean, I could talk all this shit, but it's, I mean, truth be told, like, you know, I, I kind of liked their first couple records. Yeah. But I just, you know, when you just personally don't like someone. When did you last speak to, with, uh, with Tracy? I don't know. Probably, uh, I don't know. I have no idea. That's a cat house. Like he bought me a beer or something like that. Mm -hmm. I had somebody buy me a beer. Obviously many, many years ago. Yeah, there was a guy named Jimbo. Like, I guess his, I didn't realize he knew Tracy. And he was a big, strong motherfucker, really part, you know, like hardcore, like all tatted up and fucking, you know, everything fucking pierced, you know, kind of tough biker dude. Mm -hmm. And he would always like, hey, dude, you know, like what's up? And I was like, you know, like, if anybody gives you any shit, let me know, right? So I was at a cat house one night, and then uh, he was like, Jimbo's like, hey, Raz, what's going on? It's like, anybody, anybody, just say it, man. If anybody gives you any shit. And then Tracy was there. I was like, oh, maybe I should get him to kick Tracy's ass. <laughs> I didn't know him and Tracy were like bros, man. So I was like, hey, and he, so Jimbo thought I was joking around. <laughs> I mean, I literally was going to have some big dude kick Tracy's ass, so just because he offered, you know, and I was drunk, sure. and I was like, oh. I really feel so. like your story can easily be a screenplay in a movie, like easily. Yeah, I mean, it's probably too long, though, huh? No, I mean, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't hint hint that, did I? What? Start out, that's a, that's start out on a diving board. That's what I was thinking as soon as I was reading it. Oh, really? I'm like, okay, because I mean, just like you yourself. In addition, because everyone you hear, you read a lot of these rock memoirs, and they can have great stories, but it's so much about who you are and what you've had to deal with, and it just so happens you've had these awesome experiences along with it. Not necessarily a screenplay, but teleplay. I see it as like a long series. Sure. You know, eight or nine episodes. Yeah, a miniseries. You'll, yeah. It'll be the there rock and roll ver- version of Roots. I mean... Uh, no, what's that one with the Liberace movie where Matt Damon was a power bottom or whatever? <laughs> Matt Damon. I don't, I don't it, know. It, 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 right. I it'll be something it. like that, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Or, or like some like, terrible VH1, like Temptations, rip off, whatever. Uh, so, Raz, you got to get on Twitter, but Raz Q, uh, 
dot uh, com is the place to be. I'll, I'll make and, sure. And, I'll, and buy the days of Raz and gu- days of guns and razzes. Days of, of guns. yeah, that too. And uh, and your what was it, the the magical flying pot bus? What was the other name of your other book? Oh, Bud's Love Bus. But Bud's Love Bus. It's uh, if I'm sure, is anything uh, is Miss Frizzle in there somewhere or no? Who's that? Miss Frizzle oh, from, if, from the magical school bus. Maybe I'm oh, too. Oh no! I wow. Okay, yeah, I'm fifty-two. I'm, I'm going to be 34 on Friday, so maybe I get He's dated. a kid. I'm right in the middle between you guys. All right, well, screw both of you for making me feel <laughs> young. Hey, yeah, that's usually something people want. <laughs> I guess so. Hey, I know about dinosaurs in the Civil War. I know about things. Uh, well, who, won, who, who won? The, the, the dinosaurs won the Civil War? They did. They did. They, it was in overtime. <laughs> in overtime. <laughs> nice. Raz, I can't thank you so much uh, enough for taking the time out to speak with us today for your first... Uh, Hopefully, I mean, this will be the first of many man, this uh, the, interviews because you have a great story to tell. And you are a great interview. I've interviewed a lot of people over the years. Uh, you have a great sense of humor. You're, you're open. Nothing is off. You're a good storyteller. So, um, you know, everyone should get your book. And uh, you are always welcome uh, back here on Appetite for Distortion. Oh, thanks, man. I actually appreciate your time, man. And you guys helping me. You have really helped me out. Here, kidding so. me? Everyone, I, I want people to get this book, you know. Raz, thanks so much. Thank and, you, man. And for whatever reason you're ever in, in New York, uh, please look look me up. Yeah. I will. I, I will for sure. Look me up as well, please. Absolutely, Raz. So. You have a good one, buddy. Okay, thanks for everything. See you later, Thank Raz. You. Thanks a lot. Okay. Talk, talk okay, to you soon. Bye. I mean... That John, was, that, thank you. Heck, man. I mean, I knew that was going to be cool. That yeah. was going to be cool uh, longer than I thought, but it, hey, it had to be. So what? I mean, it, it had to be. That's I'm, the kind of thing. I mean, you think about that. The, 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 I was like, this is an interview as hot as, well, as Axel on the Eddie Trunk show that time, you know? Like, this is, like, you're not going to, this is the first time you're going to have somebody like that on, you know? Uh, I could have talked to him longer. More, not just about Guns N' Roses, but just about him yeah. as a person. Well, you know, how did you get out of that? Being 15 and going out and about, it's it's taking me fucking a long ass time to deal with some handicap shit. But and mine is was his was immediate, you know. Yeah. So it's uh it's it's fascinating and uh, so definitely get uh the the days of uh, Raz and Guns and Razzes uh, on RazQ.com. And it's fun. It's a fun book. I mean, you don't really want to put it down. It's like like for fans for fans of, of younger generations that especially nowadays, they want to know maybe what it was like growing up in the 70s or the 80s. Uh, I mean, clearly that's what what it is. But the detail that he goes into about being in L.A., being in Orange County, going to Hawaii, but really being a kid in L.A. at that time, with the, with the music, the TV shows, the, the just like the like the street, the lingo is there, and it takes you into it. It's so immediate. No, that, that's it, what's why it's such a cool story. It's awesome, and this uh, this podcast has again brought me just to meeting and talking to some really cool people, which does include you, John Miller. And I think uh, we we cut ourselves off before uh, Raz called. We were talking about a, a couple things. Uh, one of which call back. Uh, we were talking about the last episode that we did, the live show. Yeah. At the top of that, we wanted to acknowledge your feud with, uh, G- uh, for lack of a better term, or uh, with G and R Central. Yeah, I didn't mean like have a feud with them. I no, just, no. Um, I mean, to, well, to re- I, before you, you you say anything, just to recap, uh, G and R Central is just one of many awesome fan sites or information sites. Uh, and I know you are very passionate about what's just like how Raz is. And we yeah. said at the beginning, what's fake, what's what's not, what's real, what's not. And I think what GNR Central does is that you know they'll uh, they they would put up I guess a, a vlog 
and and show you know whether it's blabbermouth or ultimate guitar in the article which may contain fallacies and he would give his opinion on it and i don't think he was anything malicious but i think you you were upset that day and they were pissed that we didn't defend them and i you know i apologize because i'm like i didn't know i didn't know the story we kind of just let well, it happen well i didn't mean to attack anybody but, but we I think can't control know, you john you're well, out of control but once you put yourself in the public like this like put yourself in the public you're, you're gonna get you're going to get criticism. You're going right. to get ridiculed. But but the the, th- uh, the reason I first of all, uh, you know, a friend of mine and I, you know, we we noticed them that the the when you have a YouTube account you, with advertising subscribers asking for clips, there's a way of making money off yes, doing that, and you're and you're using the GNR name to do that. Which the plan is to do that here, but <laughs> it's not happening. But there's yet. something, you know. All right, but but the, this I find this. Clearly, a hundred times more creative. Oh, this is different. But yeah, well, but that kind different. of thing. If they that was one that was one issue. But the thing they call themselves the true story. There is no true story. They're reading stuff you can find online. Yeah. And there's no new insight. So if, if it was just like hey, like the, let's just a Guns and Roses fan thing about this one thing. But but trying to offer that they have some new information is is just misleading and so that's also offensive and like like i read there was a, there's a rapid fire one that i missed and so you know i'm i'm clearly i know a lot about rapid fire well it, from the offset yeah from the offset it's it's he's saying things that aren't true or that he hasn't done his homework about it and so like that's that's not right i i get from the, I, I, everything you're saying, I get. But when I got uh, inbox from one of the people there, and I don't want to be a uh, a middleman, so I've I've opened the invitation for them to come on because this is just a Guns N' Roses family, and they, and that was the, their words, uh, you know. And they said they like the podcast; they've listened to every episode. So it, the invitation is uh, always open uh, for the guys from GNR Central. Although I was disappointed that the last video I saw from them was the guy saying that he's kind of busy and. You know, he's a lot, which I get because just like this for me, even though I'm in radio, this podcast is not on my time. Mm -hmm. You know, this isn't on my work time, rather. This is on my off time. So I think he's taking a a break because he's got some life stuff going on. So I hope he does come back and does come on. They do do, do come in the show and, you know, we can have some sort of GNR roundtable discussion. Yeah. And like one of his videos recently was that Axel might have watched one of the videos because he made some reference to a. a, a Matt Sorum story, or no, a Dizzy Reed story um, about about recording oh, illusions. You well, know what? I, I I did see that, and I thought that was really weird. Well, it was weird, but it, know, I mean, I it was will, fun. The, People ate it up. But bottom line is, we found in like through certain, you know, insider information through um, one of my friends, uh, two of my friends are the co-owners of. But what, let's say with the people who don't know that story. Uh, there was something that he did. The guy from GNR Central, he referenced something. He down-tuned the piano or something. Or... And then all of a sudden, he phrased it in a certain way. And then there was a show that happened Axel, later on. Axel addressed direct quote that, that, he, that he, in that the story he that he read. And you know what? I don't blame him because for me... It's fun. It's neat. It's like, wow, he may, maybe he watched my show. Well, I, I had that. I don't think I've spoken about it on this podcast. And I guess if you're not a New York Yankee fan, you may not give a shit. Uh, but if you are... Uh, their radio announcer for since I was a fucking kid, John Sterling, who does all these stupid nicknames now. I'm the reason why he started it, uh, and I swear to fucking God. Um, Tina Martinez was the first, like, my favorite player growing up, and I never heard it before. I'm like, you know, I grew up watching The Sandlot. You know, of course, Babe Ruth, uh, the great Bambino. So I thought of the great Bambino. 
me, me and my dad, we had a, Yan- a Yankee season tickets before they cost an arm and a leg. So in the old stadium, so we sat like, you know, we had tickets like seven rows behind the Yankee dugout. And w- I made a sign, never did that before. Uh, the camera was on us. We had it taped on VHS. Mom taped it at home. And the announcers made, they zoomed in on us. Well, it wasn't like a WWE event where you see all these signs. Mm. It's, they zoomed in on us. The great, uh, the late great Bob Mercer, Bobby Mercer, he's like, uh, great band, Tino. I've never heard of this before. Then a few weeks later, when Tino hit his 40th home run, you know, it is high, it is far, it is gone. The great Bam Tino. John Sterling says it for the first time. Mike and Mike, uh, excuse me, Mike and Mike, Mike and the Mad Dog, which was a, a very famous uh, radio show here in New York. They were making fun of him. So, I mean, that was the, the first time he was heard. And ever since then, you know, he started using uh, names. Then Tino was traded. Then they got Jason Giambi. Then he kind of shoehorned the Giambino in there. Now, that's where the A-Rod, uh, an A-bomb from A-Rod, if you're, again, if you're a baseball Yankee fan. Anyway, I know that's a crazy sidetrack. No, that's it's cool. But it's like, I made that up. That's bullshit. So if that's right. how he feels, and, that's fine. And I totally understand. Right. But so, I mean, that's why I want them him to get on here so we can have a direct back and forth with you at some yeah. point. Yeah. And, and also, my, my, two of my friends um, co-own GNRTruth.com, which is a great website. I mean, I, I know you guys like my GNR. Uh, no, we, we follow you uh, that on, on, on Twitter. I mean, we, we yeah. try to, I mean, if you it's, follow us on Twitter at the AFD show and we'll follow you back. We want to you know, make our community, our online community bigger. So, uh, so do that. So we do follow a GNR truth yeah, and I'm, in GNR central. I just hope they come back and, you know, as you are, John, you're welcome on the show. Uh, whenever, thanks. you know, this is like what your third time co-hosting. Uh, I mean, actually it's my fourth, fifth, fifth time. Oh, well, well, if you, if you can't, when I called in from Indiana, I do too much pe- uh, peyote. Uh, no, I've been talking like a co- you. Uh, you were, I said, yeah, you were kind of a co-host then. You were just kind of like a yeah, like I came to Long Island a couple of times, and then uh, well, came here. This is yeah, that'll be the your fourth. Called okay. in from Indiana, All right. and then uh, here's the you're fourth one, in the studio. In the studio. All right, you're one yeah. of the, you're still one of the bad apples. <laughs> so <laughs> that's why I want to. Like, how Lady Gaga I, has her little monsters. I, I can be I have weird. A bad apple. I can be weird. I, I, I can I can I get a little uh, fired up, and and like I, I was told if, uh, by a very significant person if you ever meet Axel you cannot behave the way you're behaving <laughs> and, and I think it that's means, what said to you because I'm a spaz I mean I think like you know having Chris Weber one of the first times Chris Weber and I met I'd had maybe three or four cappuccinos before he showed up oh god and he probably thought I was on something because I was wired out of my yeah, mind yeah no I get like sometimes I, I get like I gotta calm myself down like when yeah. I met Weird Al or I was in um, one of the things I do here at iHeart I was in a, a, a room with Bruce Campbell for three hours oh uh, yeah uh, from, I saw those uh, pictures e- that was really cool yeah from Evil Dead of course because uh, he was doing a radio tour Groovy. and you know when I, my boss is like just just be, uh, act professionally I'm like mm. I will I will <laughs> oh my god yeah so. it's, it's like somebody was in um, oh shit who played Zod in, in Superman 2? I know you're talking about. Uh, sir, 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 sir. God. But whatever. He did, he did a show with him. Uh, before they even recorded, he goes, I'm, I'm sorry, I just got to ask. And he just goes, you may kneel before Zod. And, and so he <laughs> literally dropped to his knees and, and uh, I mean, he's yeah. like, okay, thank you. There are and, people, and they got it out of the way. People are, some people are cool like that. It just, like, you never know. I mean, we've all talked about certain stories about, you know, how I met Bumblefoot. You know, how you've met certain, you know, Slash uh, when you were, you know, waiting tables and that awkward interaction on your very first episode <laughs> here. So, you know, it, it's it's very cool. Uh, and this was just uh, not only addition just to having Raz here, just having, again, you having uh, having you here again. That was a weird sentence. I think it's because it's a long episode and my brain's starting to leak out. Uh, having you here once again because it's you, much like Art Tavana, our buddy, uh, just uh, an encyclopedia 
uh, of just GNR uh, stuff. Um, I believe, because as I have my notes here, trying to be a little bit more prepared for each one of these shows, that we touched upon uh, everything. We were going to... We are going to talk about covers. We were going to... Okay, that's what we'll, we'll wrap up with the, uh, the, the covers, because they've been doing, and I believe they an edit. This, this is what we were going to talk about. We think yes. Steely, Steely Dan. Yes. What, like, might they do a Steely Dan song? That'd I would. That cool. would be very cool, because they, they've been doing... Uh, I should say, they've been doing... I'll reiterate that. Because uh, it wasn't a one-off. Same thing with Black Hole Sun, uh, Wichita Lineman. Which has got better and better each time I've heard it. You know, growing up, and I mentioned, you know, we talked about Steely Dan just a little bit. You know, I grew up with Steely Dan on the radio, just never, you know, took it upon myself to go deeper into the catalog, but I still always liked it. Uh, but with Glenn Campbell, for me, he was never on the radio. I, I know who he was. My mom always spoke about him, especially towards the end when he got Alzheimer's. Uh, because my, my grandmother has Alzheimer's, so she would always, I don't know, feel better talking about Glenn Campbell. So I had, I feel bad, I feel like an asshole saying this. I had never heard that song. And neither have I. I so never like, heard Wish I mean, I, I, of course, went to YouTube yes, first, and I, I'm like, isn't this a cool song? I told my wife, she goes, yeah, I like it, but I know you're liking it because Axel's Guns just played it. I'm like, well, yeah, I, isn't that cool? But I think they, they did a... And how fucking good does Axel sound? He's, I think he's in his pitch on that song. I, the way, I like the way it's broken down. Uh, I think that it's a it's a great. I hope I've they, only found that one uh, video of it though. I haven't. I I want to see more. It's it's not yeah, the complete song. Yeah, but I think the, in that fan spot, the Facebook fan spot where we post, uh, they post a set list. I think I've seen it more than once. No, certainly, but I, I just I haven't seen it. I'm like in no. Vancouver, that nobody recorded. I just it find that very fascinating. That it's it's more uh, bands will pay homage, but they're yeah. they're keeping it in the set list. Uh, would they, they didn't they haven't done that with uh, with Chester uh, with Lincoln, Lincoln Park so. But I, I can see them doing more of a Steely Dan, given yeah, their age. Maybe. Uh, How about I've, I've, well, James Brown? Yeah. Uh, James Brown, which they did before, I guess. 2006. When, yeah, when he was still braided Axel, but had it in a ponytail. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, I mean, that was interesting. And I just look at that as that's just a, the band having fun. Well, also, like, you know, a, a lot of people bitch about his voice. Right. Talk, like, they wonder whether or not he can you know, sing in certain ranges. I'm like, you want to hear a rasp? It's all, yeah. Good God. It shows that he's picking and choosing kind of when he wants to do it, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, I mean, he, he yeah. He wants songs to sound a certain way. He's going to do it the way he wants. So I posed the, uh, here's, um, I, I posed the question uh, on our Facebook and our Twitter, both at the AFD show. And we'll wrap up in a couple of this. Is, I don't like to go too, <laughs> too long with these. Uh, that... Who else would you like to see them cover? You know, maybe Prince, maybe Glenn Fry. you know, homage. Uh, the reaction, for the most part, that I got is kind of how I feel. Covers are great enough. There's a lot of uh, better, you know, originals out there that it was stopped because I got really excited. I thought they played uh, pretty tight up, but that was debunked uh, right away. Yeah, that was, that was, I mean, I was excited when I saw there that. There was a, a, a faux uh, set list out there. Some some troll gets in there. Yeah. And, and it was on messing. like a main concert. Uh, like Concerts.list.com. That setlist.com. Setlist.com, yeah. right. So um, they did not play pretty tight up. I was excited. I thought it was. That's fake shit. Because uh, in addition to that, not to cut you off, but no. both uh, Duff and Slash had a tweet about fake accounts of theirs. Uh, you know, like of Duff and Slash apparently inboxing fans asking for money. Fucked up shit. <laughs> what? Yeah, it's like fucked up shit. Uh, so, but... One reaction that I, I got in addition to like saying, hey, let's just go back to the originals is our, from our friend uh, Anna in Portugal. Uh, and I thought this was an interesting one. Uh, Prophets of Rage. 
of course, uh, we should rage against the machine with Chuck D and uh, Be Real from Cypress Hill. And she goes that uh, the rap, the rap, I guess com- combined words, rap means uh, rock. And what would GNR do that now? And the, this is the broad range. And of course, the politicizing, you know, they're very political now. And how guns, is, you know, at least. Yeah, uh, I, I think, social media is pretty Ax- political. Axel so could... mentioned something about Trump not too long ago, and then and he cut himself off. He goes, uh, you know, Slash is looking at me. You know, hope you hope you shut your mouth now or something. I forget what he <laughs> really? said about something. I forget what he said. But anyway, but I, I wish they would bring back um, "Sailing" the Rod Stewart song. Okay, have you ever heard it? Heard Sail that? Su- is that the Just, Sail Away Sweet Sister? That one? No, no. This is from 2006. He sang it as far as I know only <coughs> twice, both in London. Mm. Um, just sailing. Look it up on YouTube. I, I want to hear them because he does great covers. I was listening to some actual spaghetti incident on my way in the studio today. But I do want to see, you know, pretty tied up. I want to I want to hear some. They'll play that. I mean, let, let, they, they just oh. brought back in Catcher in the Rye. Yeah, no, they did. But and, uh, again, more Chinese, which I like, you like, Ian likes. But, you know, it's, it's just interesting. I mean, if we're complaining about a, oh, and I, I guess I'll end it here, which is what's, uh, which was fascinating to me when I went to see a Lady Gaga and I was talking about it with Ian and I went there and I think Guns N' Roses have ruined me for every show going on because uh, Gaga was great great voice you know uh, I knew the set list wasn't going to be what I wanted just because she was promoting a new album and I like the new record but I like some of her older stuff whatever but the fact that the beginning it was two hours okay because uh, Axel and GNR do three hours plus and that's no discredit to Gaga, who I thought was pulling an axle. She was, she didn't come on until like ten o'clock, hmm. uh, but she has also like health issues and pain issues, so that's two hours is fine. But that there were breaks, you know, and I know she has costume changes and they'll put on like vignettes on the screen or whatever. But Axel does the same thing, and when she had a band out there, when it was a more like rock-driven song, it was fine. You know, I liked it. I'm taking you know the guitar solos, drum solos. But with with Junior, it was nonstop. I my, my my emotion was just like, oh my god, it was riding high. I didn't know what to do with the Gaga show. Hmm. Up for one song, down for another, up down. So I'm like, it's it's just very weird. So Junior, the fact that they're still doing it, still announcing dates, you know, every uh, the reviews have been just over the fucking moon. It, I, I'm, I now I'm, I know I'm nitpicking, no, I'm nitpicking with the set list. Oh, it's you know what, it, it's okay because you just you want what's the best. You know, you're gonna get the best thing ever. Like your appetite only grows. But um, the Vancouver show the clips that I saw last night, I, I I couldn't believe how. I mean, I, I've been to a bunch of the shows already, and it, it's. I, I cannot believe how it looks like it's getting better and better. It just can't get better, but think, they are. I think they're getting better. And October right? cannot come soon enough. Oh uh, yeah, so we'll say that. Uh, I know you're going to a couple of the shows here in the city. Uh, four. You're going to four now. You had three. Three MMSGs and one um, Newark. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to the October 12th. Come on, man. I know there's a, there, give me money. <laughs> there is some strange issue. Like if if you go through the night train or whatever, like there was it was really tough getting pit pay, tickets. I don't want to pay more. I, I mean, oh come on! We only have one life to live. You know, but, if you get pit tickets, because that's all right. That's something else. But I, uh, there's been issues. Like, <coughs> like, sorry, uh, like for some reason, I've I've heard like I I couldn't get a pit ticket. Like as soon as they were on sale for MSG, none of the pits were available. I, I didn't know just, what that was going on. I, I will just say this because I also got like I got similar seats that from when I saw GNR at um at MetLife. No, it wasn't MetLife. Yeah, it was MetLife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was at MetLife. Uh, but it was fine to be that far away for a rock show, but for her, I feel like it needed to be closer because I just didn't get the vibe all the way back up there, even though, again, it was a good show. Mm-hmm. But Axel's and that band's vibe just hit you regardless of where you were. So if you happen to get 
close seats because there will be nobody that will pay that amount of money, including Ian, to see Guns N' Roses again. Let me know, okay? Because uh, right now, Danzig, after GNR, Danzig is my, my, my last show of the year. All right. Uh, so, John, you're obviously, hopefully I'll see you again before, uh, before. If we don't, I mean, I'm going to Scotland for 11 days uh, on September 11th. And then, uh, oh, and then, nice. Well, and then I'll be coming back and just counting down until October 11th. For MSG. All right, very cool. And uh, I'll just say it on this on this uh, podcast because I know it, it was kind of confirmed, uh, but I usually like when it's like stamp of approval and confirmed. But hopefully this Friday, uh, which is going to be the eighth, right? Because I should know that because it's my birthday, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I hope so. Uh, I which I normally would have off, but I think I'm coming in to interview Trivium. You know, are you familiar with the band Trivium? No, because you're old. Yes. Well, Trivium is a, a big metal band who have cited uh, Guns N' Roses uh, as, you know, uh, influence, you know, and they're big in the community. So hoping to have an in-studio interview with Trivium uh, this coming Friday uh, as we record this on the Cool. 8th. So we, I try to be as live with these podcasts as possible when we're not live, live like we were last time. Anyway. And, and so we'll be on the air tomorrow competing with Mitch LaFont's Tracy Guns interview, I heard. Yes, I I don't know if that's allowed to be. Is that allowed to be said? It can. I don't. Did Mitch announce that? Yeah. I mean. Okay. I I saw a. It was a Twitter. It was a. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know because I know you told me. I didn't know if Mitch officially announced that. Yeah. No. All right. So he did. That's just interesting that there's going to be. And he's been on this show, right? Yes, yes. Yes. I I reached out to him because he got the uh, exclusive with uh, Adler when he was not happy with. Uh, That's right. And yeah, I was like, who the f- like, who's this? Like, I didn't know Mitch at the time, and mm-hmm. I'm now I feel like an idiot because Mitch is fucking the man, you know. I, I didn't know, especially he's a Canadian. I like Canadians. Anyway, uh, we we've spoken too much. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, Appetite for Distortion. I sure have. Twenty uh, episode twenty six. Uh, Raz Q. I mean, my God, get his book, uh, The Days of uh, uh, Guns and Razzes, on Amazon or RazQ.com. And uh, hopefully uh, we'll be talking to you uh, soon, whether it be Trivium or a new episode. Uh, you mentioned you said you're going to Scotland, right? Yeah. I think uh, there's – oh, my God. I may be uh, talking to – it's going to be soon. Uh, this guy has been talking to us a lot. On, we're meeting some fucking awesome people uh, here through this podcast. And whoever's listening to – if you have a great story that involves Guns N' Roses, reach out. I want to hear it. Uh, Sir Kev. Uh, his grandma's from Brooklyn, so he's an Islander fan, but he lives in Ireland. And he's writing a Guns N' Roses book. He runs a guitar shop. So I've been wanting to, to, to speak with him for a while. There's a lot of Guns N' Roses books coming out soon. <laughs> right, I know, I know. So, I mean, everyone has their, their, their tale. And, yeah. and GNR happens to be around it, you know, orbiting it. And that's kind of what my story is. So if you want to reach out, please, you know, again, at the, uh, you know, we don't check our email often. So you can always inbox us on Facebook or, and or Twitter. Uh, anything else, my sweet John? No, this is it. I'm, I'm looking forward to listening to us. Uh, <laughs> Ego maniac. All right. Uh, so, again, thanks for hanging out. Um, when will be the next time you see us? Well, just like Axel said about uh, Chinese democracy, I don't know if soon is the word, but you'll see it. You've been listening to the distorted minds of Brando and Scotto, dissecting all things Guns and Roses on Appetite for Distortion. Follow the guys on Twitter at The AFD Show and on Facebook at facebook.com slash The AFD Show. Thanks to the lame-ass security, I'm going home.